Welcome to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. The podcast that's more 90s than Jerry Halliwell in a GB dress at the Brit Awards. Yes, the Spice Girls are getting back together. Please let it be 1996 all over again. My name's Ash Rose, your host and guide on this, the original and best 1990s football podcast, Alive and Kicking, where we take you on a journey through the decade that changed football forever. Oh, it's been a while since I've said that, but it is, and it's a podcast that's actually been called Outstanding this week by a friend of the show. You'll hear that for yourself on a new little quirk on this week's episode. Um, yeah, look out for that. There's a new little thing that we've done with a few friends of Alive and Kicking, so let's get your ears around them because it's coming up during today's show. Talking of today's show, we'll get to that in a minute. Just wanted to hark back to our last episode, uh, hopefully you downloaded it. Um, it was a kind of a different episode in terms of we looked, we did a review, I suppose, in in a way. Um, four four two magazine, the excellent four four two magazine. Their January issue was a nineties special, and it was fantastic. It covered a lot of things uh, on videotapes, the Ajax team, uh, some great interviews with Alex um, Andre Kincelskis and Philip Albert, even Georgie Campos as well, that great Mexican goalkeeper, stroke striker with those brilliant brilliant kits. Yep, there's your first Bingo I said kits, and don't worry, I'm getting on to the England kit in a minute. But they also did an article called 90 Things That We Love About The 90s. So what we did is me, myself, me, myself, and I, no, I'm not going to sing, <laughs> myself, Joel Young and Matthew Chris, two of our regulars, uh, we went through it. We just basically went through the 90 things that they loved about 90s football, and I think we agreed with pretty much 90% of them, haha. <laughs> Um, I th- we'd like to do our own one at some point obviously there'd be a crossover but there were a few things that I would include that weren't included in there maybe they're a bit niche things like Smugs remember Smugs I've got a Les Ferdinand one looking at me right now Premier League stickers oh, I think that might have been in there actually or Dream Team that was one that kit from the 94 World Cup might have mentioned that a couple of times on here but yeah things like that but it was really it was nice to go through so, and well done to Hitish Ratner and all the boys at 442 for a fantastic um, issue. I'm sure you can still get it in the sort of in their lot of back issues. I think the new issue just came out this week. So um, if you want to get hold of it, I'm sure there's a way. But if you do and you love 90s football, because of course you do, because you're listening to Alive and Kicking, the best 90s football podcast out there, then you should get hold of that 90s special by 442 because it was awesome, as they say in the States. Today, um, talking to 96 at the top of the show, actually, uh, with the Spice Girls, we're going back to 1996. Um, I'm looking at transfers. I wanted to do a transfer thing um, around the window. It's slightly later than we planned, just, again, schedules and things like that. Um, um, but we'd already done a transfer podcast way, way, way back, um, probably episode oh, in our first few, five or six, maybe even earlier than that. And although some of these episodes we're going to go back and revisit and do them in more detail, because back then they were much shorter than they were now. Uh, one of them was a transfer where we looked at all the big transfers of, of the decade um, with, the, with the guys in uh, back when we were in one of the studios, actually. But go back in the archives and listen to it because it's, it's a good listen. But we're talking transfers again, um, but we're going back to a certain summer. And you, one could argue it was a summer that kind of began this sort of trend and the difference in transfers that ultimately has led us to 2018 where there was a ridiculous amount of money spent in this window, bigger than there's ever been, especially when you combine it with last summer as well. You could say that 1996 began probably too strong, but sort of the first sprinklings of what we would 
then know as the silly transfer fees that we, we get now that started. Obviously, the, the headline act was Alan Shearer and his world record move to Newcastle at the time. We'll talk about that. But throughout the top three leagues in Europe, there were some major transfers. And so we're going to talk about that. It's actually an article I read last year by a assistant editor at Sport Bible, Joe Bayamonte, who's coming on the show soon, actually, uh, when we do our Serie A special, our Football Italia special we're going to do in a couple of episodes' time. But he wrote an article about this summer just highlighting the fact that so many big names and, and some names we haven't really talked about in great detail on here moved that summer and it really began the big movers of the next of that decade, the next decade and now what we're seeing. So we're going to talk through that with the boys that we had on last time, Joel and Matthew. We're back with those and we'll be going through those transfers with little memories of, of some of the players of our own and the impact they made at the clubs once they moved. That's to come as well as an interview, uh, today's guest, on the line is former Reading, QPR and Wolves midfielder Simon Osborne. Um, someone who, you know, he had a, one of those sort of journeyman um, careers that he, he did a great stint at every club that he was at. Bar QPR, which is quite interesting, didn't quite work out for him then. He came as part of the, the following summer where we sold Les Ferdinand. The money was spent on guys like him and Ned Zellick. It just didn't quite work out that ultimately led to QPR's relegation from the Premier League that season. So we talked to him about that. He's quite open to why it didn't work out as well as his highs and lows, his best and his worst of the 1990s. That's all today to come on today's show. Plus our new little snippets, just yeah, little stings I think they're called in the industry. Look out for them. I just wanted to, before we get into today's show, talk about, guess what? What? Just guess what I'm going to talk about. Well, I've already mentioned it, but if you missed it, England kit. Yes, the England football kit for 2018 was launched um, to this week, actually. What was yesterday as we record this? Um, it's one that I had kind of seen a few leaks from um, a couple of weeks ago. From, usually from the guys at Footy Headlines who seem to get these leaks way before everyone else. So well done to who's on their research team because it's highly entertaining for a kit geek like me. But I did see some of the leaks and I was wary that it looked very, very plain, very, very dull. Um, wondered if we were going to get another case of the templates from Nike, which we may still do because we've not seen um, the sort of other teams in their catalogue yet, like the likes of France and Portugal and teams like that. However... Yeah, the having seen the kit now, haven't quite seen it in the flesh, but seeing the actual final press photos for them with uh, uh, Raheem Sterling and Harry Kane and the boys, it looks okay. I'm not, I'm, I'm quite happy with it. I'm happy to see the blue shorts back. Um, the white shirt, on first glance, does look a pretty simple, basic shirt that they've done. There are some nice little subtle details on it once you look really sort of closely at it, which I can see would make it not just a white shirt and blue shorts. So there are some subtle things that make it stand out. And I'm like the, you know, the white shirt, blue shorts. To me, that's an England kit. You know, we hark back to 1990, that great Italia kit, 96 as well, although you had that weird blue mixed in. It was always white shirt, blue shorts. So that's an England kit for me. As much as I did like the current one, well, now the old one, when it first released, it was very templated. You had the same kit as the Americas, of the Portugals, the Frances and stuff. So I'm yet to be seen if we're going to get that anyway. But on first glance, I'm okay with it. It's nice. It's fresh. It's simple. However, what I did see, and I'm gutted they didn't do this, and I don't know if you've seen this. If you've seen me tweeting at Ashrose UK, you probably would have. The training shirt that they've come out along with the new kit range is amazing. I really wish they had the balls to make that the home kit instead of the training kit. If you haven't seen it, it's got this motif on the front, uh, with which is blue and red. Kind of harks back to the, um, the 1980s Admiral kit, and I keep it 80s, um, which... Isn't one of my favourites, it's a bit before my time in terms of my kit taste, but it looks great. 
it's like a modern twist on that. It has those colours in it. Also, you add in the element that it's the same colours of the Russian flag. And I think it really would have stood out. It really would have been something really, really different instead of the simpler plane. I kind of get why they've gone down that route. Because although everyone's saying, why isn't the training show the kit? I think if they'd done that, though, around, everyone would be going, what is that? What is that ghastly kit? But I, I, I'll be all for it. I even wonder if they designed that and as, as an option to be the home kit and they just didn't quite have the uh, the gumption to go, let's make this the home kit, and then they made it the training kit. But we'll see it uh, before the match, I guess. I may even purchase it myself. I don't know. It is, it is a very nice training shirt, though. But on the opposite of that, I also saw the new Nigeria kit last night, and my God, have they gone all out with that one? I mean, hello you, in terms of Nigeria. They've really looked back to... Well, it reminds me of the 1994 kit. It's, a, it's kind of a mix, actually. It's got the sleeves of the 1994 Nigeria kit, but the actual body of it, and kind of the pattern, looks a bit like the Germany away kit from the Italia 90. A little bit. But it's it's outstanding. I love it. Absolutely love it. It's a great effort. Wonder if they could have done something like that for England. And it'd be really interesting now to see the other kits in their staple hold because they're two very different kits. Nike have been very templating over the last few seasons. So it'd be very interesting to see if this kit and the uh, England kit are going to be two sort of trends that they go down or we're going to get slightly bespoke kits for Edry Nation. I really hope so. That's the way I would do it. Creativity, originality, That to me, that's what makes kits. So hopefully that's what we'll see from Nike. Um, enough about kits, because if you're not interested in it, I can hark all day. I was on TalkSport earlier talking about the England kit as well. So I think I was talked enough on that. Um, we'll get to today's show. I just wanted a couple of, wish a couple of happy birthdays because it was De- uh, Brian Dean's fiftieth birthday this week, and I-, I mentioned that because Brian was our first ever guest here on Alive and Kicking way back on our first episode. Um, kind of nice because Joel Young's on today's show as well, who also was on that episode. So first ever goal scorer in the Premier League, first ever gif- uh, guest on Alive and Kicking. Happy birthday, Brian Dean. It was also Georgie Hadji and Haristo Stoichkov's birthday this week, which I mentioned because those two players are always kind of interlinked, aren't they? Because of that 94 World Cup and that kind of mid-90s where those two were really two of the best players in the world at that point. And they had, kind of had the similar game. They were quite small in stature, quite stocky, but two geniuses on the football. And they both had their birthday in the same week. February is obviously the month to be if you're a footballer, because I think it's also Ronaldo's birthday, Neymar, Carlos Tevez. Andy Hinchcliffe, obviously. <laughs> but yeah, it seems to be something in the water come February time when babies are born that turn out to be fantastic footballers. A happy birthday to all those people. Anyway, let's get on to today's show and talking about the big transfers of 1996 with myself, Joel Young and Matthew Christ, as well as an interview with former QPR Reading and Wolves midfielder Simon Osborne. This is Alive and Kicking. I'm Ash Rose. Here we go. Sit back and enjoy a nostalgic ride through the decade that truly changed the face of football. If the 90s are now retro, then it's time for a celebration. Welcome to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. 
Welcome back to Alive and Kicking, our second show of 2018. Gore, it's getting further and further away from that precious decade, but we're clinging on, and I'm clinging on two of my favourite people here. We're recording this at night time, which is rare for us, so uh, it's a bit more ambience going on. There's a word I don't use very often, but welcome, as always, to firstly, he's always oh, got so many monikers, head of the Genio Fam Club, he's working on The Voice, he's a social media mogul, Mr. Joel Young. How you doing? I'm very well. One thing I would say, I think Ambiance played for Bordeaux in the 96-97 season. I remember him being a very like tough tackling central midfielder. Pierre Ambiance. <laughs> Ambiance, yeah, he was good. I'm just thinking about Dean Ambiance now, like Dean Ambrose or something, but you know, that's a silly play on words there. Um, Not as friends. I'm very well, yes, how are you? Yeah, things are, things are going, yeah, things are a bit busy at the minute. You were in meetings and stuff. You were doing actual meetings and everything. I've had had two meetings today. Yeah, that was good. And I keep watching episodes of The Voice over and over and over again, which is, you know, it's a lovely show. I've got to plug it. I have to admit. It's a really... I haven't it's watched a really this nice show. I haven't actually watched this series. I usually watch it. We haven't got around to it yet. So I'm, I'm, I'm hoping you're if doing you go a good back, job. If you go back and watch, uh, I think last week, which is episode five, there's a guy called Wayne Ellington who... Absolutely blows your socks off. Oh, okay. And beyond that, I can't, I can't show any favouritism to anybody, but he is He's very good. good. Oh, Every, okay. Everybody's gone through is good, but go back and watch it on the ITV Hub. Um, he's very good. Cheap. But anyway, come on. Crack love, on. Love Get Matthew a, on. Yeah, love a cheap plug. <laughs> Matthew mm. Christ, journalist, blogger, writer. You've been lots for the sportsman lately. Talking about the uh, the Manchester stuff, haven't you been doing? How are you doing? Yeah, good, good. Hello. Um, far too late to say Happy New Year now, isn't it? Now we're in there. February and uh, great no, to be we, doing we'll it. We're saying Happy Valentine's Day now. Yeah. We should be declaring our love to each other. Or Ash Wednesday. It's great to be. It's great to be doing oh, a, Ash Wednesday. Of no, course. that's not a thing. No, it it's great it to be doing an. It's good to be doing an after hours episode of the, It's a bit like a, an episode of Hollyoaks in the mid nineties. <laughs> yeah, we can swear a lot. Yeah. <laughs> what is what is everybody drinking? Because I've just had a nice cup of tea, so I'm the boring old fire who's had me a nice cup of brew. Joel, what are you drinking at this time of night? Well, in, in you know, basically in honour of um, two cup finals that we that Middlesbrough didn't win in the nineteen nineties, I've got a nice glass of Coca Cola. Uh, other cokes are available, as they say. About yeah. you, Matthew, what are you drinking? Well, well, I'm going to let the side down now, and I'm pretty sure this lot are never going to sponsor the League Cup. I'm drinking Tesco brand <laughs> pear cider. <laughs> the Tesco hey, brand at least you're, pear at least you're cider on the cup, cup, mate. Yeah, at least yeah. you're on the pop. Well, you know, I thought I didn't want to let the side down. I no. thought we'd all be, but uh, obviously out. not. Well, I can, I can certainly go and throw some Jack Daniels in. <laughs> it's, it's like it's like turning up to a fancy dress party. And no, yeah, no one telling you that actually wasn't a fancy dress party. So I, I had a drink, and everyone else you, let me do. This this seems like this is something that has happened to you. It's not happened to me, but I remember going to a house party in. It was, I'll tell you when it was. It was 1998 because I remember it was New Year's Eve, 1998. Because the clock struck midnight and everyone wished each other happy World Cup because oh, it was the World Cup, that, uh, yeah. and we uh, we told this fella that it was um, a fancy dress party. Obviously, we didn't go as fancy dress, and he turned up in a. I think he turned up in a nap in a like dressed as a baby or something. <laughs> I can't remember what the thing. Baby New Year, no, Baby New Year. That's the thing is, oh, you have old yeah. old father time and Baby New Year. Yeah. But uh, he, so he yeah, turned so he, dressed in. Oh, maybe it was his personal kink. Who knows? Well, it might. Maybe I got the wrong idea. Maybe it was a different party altogether. But, uh, <laughs> he, he he turned up with a dummy in a nappy and. Uh, oh. 
wow. the rest of us. It's were. happened to my wife. It, sounds, as it well. sounds like the Middlesbrough squad of 1999, to be honest. <laughs> oh, there's a lot of drink going around in that squad, I bet you. Um, it happened to my wife actually when she was younger. She went she went to a party and she dressed as Jasmine from Aladdin as a nice nineties reference, and no one else was was dressed as a fancy dress either. That was New Year's Eve, so scarred her for life. Actually, she doesn't like fancy dress anymore. Bless can her. I just apologise for something? Go on, Joe. Can you hear this? Can you hear this noise in the background? Is that the uh, the cat? I've got the, I've got Archie going absolutely wild in the background. Are you all right there, fat boy? No, now he's going to shut up. You see, but, you want some um, Coca Cola? Anybody who does follow me online, and you know, heaven help you if you do, um, you've seen many pictures of this enormous fat cat, and he's just walking around meowing. Yesterday, he ate a pasty. Wow. He, he, he ate a cheese and onion pasty. And um, I, I sort, sort of basically realised that a, a pasty is basically a big dreamy. What's a dreamy? You know a dreamy that cats have? Oh, right, okay. It's I'm a dog person, cheese so, wrapped yeah. in crust to do these adverts. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, so... So he had, like, the ultimate snack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He came up... If you go up to my Twitter at Joel Baby Herc, which everybody now should know what that is. Um, yeah, he's there uh, eating this enormous pasty, mm. thinking it's a dreamy. So, okay. yeah. Well, you know, let's talk football, shall we? <laughs> yeah, let's talk about football, yeah. Please. Specifically in the 90s. If you, wanted to, if you want to hear Joel's cat podcast, follow him online. Where, we should uh, do that. that you can do that. Thing. I couldn't do that. I'm a, I have a dog, so unless we do a pet podcast. Yes, yeah. Pet maybe, podcast. Yeah, yeah maybe there's, uh, there's something in that. Maybe not. I don't know. I'm, in, I'm mm. in the process of helping someone out on a Gladiators podcast. There's a little sneak. Uh, no spoilers alert. Is that why I got a follow-on off that Twitter account? Possibly. <laughs> you do know that you do know that I'm pals with Die, don't you, Jet? Um, yeah. Well, I didn't, but that will maybe come in handy. But I don't know how involved I'm going to get. But that's uh, I'm not allowed to say too much at the moment. But that may be something. Okay. Well, in... I am pa- I am pals with Die. Oh, um, Jet, yeah. lovely lady, lovely lady. Oh, well, we told the story about how she and this is getting back to football. Okay, we'll get there eventually, everybody. <laughs> but uh, um, in the '94 first season of Brian Robson, she used to do the half time. And she'd come across and skip across the pitch oh, and all okay. this Doing kind all of business. Thing and it, was, yeah. it gave us a, it gave us a lot of interesting times. Yeah, I had a poster of Jet literally above my bed. I won't tell you what I got involved as a teenager, but it was very <laughs> revealing. <laughs> cleavage, <laughs> cleavage, this going, Jason. This is going very after hours. This now, it's, right? It? It's Hollyoaks. Yeah, it's late this night. This is Hollyoaks, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> That's going to be the name of this podcast. I tell She's, you that. Uh, I, I actually tweeted it the other day because um, I was watching the Partridge documentary, and obviously Alan Partridge has has the picture of her and a picture of Roger Moore at his bedside cabinet. And I went, oh, God, I'd forgotten all about this. And she tweeted me back saying, under no circumstances am I doing a rave in your mill. And I was just like, oh, my God, I love you. You're the best. <laughs> oh, Jet. She should be in one of my intros, actually. Anyway, that's Talk Football. She was around during this time, the season, the year we're going to talk about, as I said, in my intro. We're coming off the back of the transfer window slightly later than, you know, it was a couple of weeks ago. But I thought we'd talk a little bit transfers. As I said before, we did do a transfer podcast very, very early on. Um, in in our life and kicking's lifetime, not far from the first episode. Which Joel, nice little thing that you're on. It was Brian Dean's birthday this week. I don't know if you saw that. Who was our first guest? It's funny you? I mentioned that podcast tonight. Yeah, when I shouted at him. Yeah. <laughs> Did you shout Brian Dean again? No, not again. But I shouted at him in the, oh, in the, in the original opening, the did. original edition of Live and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. Yeah. You, you told him off. Well, 
actually, which nobody knows, you told him off twice because we had to do that episode twice, and you actually told, <laughs> you actually told him off twice. But happy 50th birthday to Brian Dean. Anyway, that's that's actually, hey, I tell you what, he came back and scored many goals, but none, none as heartbreaking as the one that he actually scored against us. Yeah, so. Major Dino cried, didn't he? Anyway, we'll mm-hmm. finally get round to tonight's subject, which is the transfer window of 1996. Now, this I saw this article online last year. It's been on the back burner. I just thought it was a quite interesting time in transfers, in football, in the 90s, because so many big names moved in this summer. Names, Some of the names we haven't really talked about on here before as well. And it, for me, I think it was became the slight catalyst for the ridiculous amount of money that's been spent in 2018. It's rule can kind of sort of maybe hark back to where it all began in these mid-90s. So we've got the top 10 transfers from the three major leagues at the time. They say big five now, but back in the 90s, it was more the big three. France and Germany weren't quite as affluent in terms of spending money as they are now with PSG and Bayern Munich. Um, so we've, got the, we've all looked at these transfers, these players, and we're just going to talk about these in general what impact they made during that time and and over that course of that sort of 96 97 season and onwards um where should we start lads where do you fancy going should we spain in italy or england anyone want to j- jump in well i would jump in oh, first I, of all and say remember england last yeah well we've got a lot to talk about there yeah um so well, but do you remember we go on matt this was before the days. was this not before the days of transfer window in this country anyway yes I'm yeah sure. absolutely Oh yeah, yeah. yeah we just to know. be just to be factually correct here, you know, this was before, obviously post Bosman, but before the uh, concept of windows came in, because th- we're going back here with the days where you could sign somebody right up until March the thirty first. Yeah, that was the only deadline, wasn't it? I was about to say there was a deadline yeah. towards the end of the season when they would, would stop the transfers. But yeah, there was no winter. Yeah. I think the win. I can't at uh, the top of my head. Can't remember when the winter window came in, but it must. I have think been. it was like two thousand and one or something. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, two yeah, thousand two. I think yeah. I've just seen. I think apparently Europe. Went first, and then I think the UK or England or whatever you want to call it came in on uh, 2002, 2003 season, something like that. So, um, but quickly, don't let that get in the way of a good podcast. Quickly, gentlemen, um, my favourite ever deadline day signing for my club, Middlesbrough, Jan Agafiotov. In your uh, in your under eight eleven, we did a few episodes back. Yes, I did. Yeah, so he was my favourite deadline day signing for my club i'm throwing you both under the bus now yeah who is it for you it's obviously a lot easier for matthew than it is for you ash because i don't even know you got there i, I don't think i can't even remember a 90s that, that late deadline day signing. It, i don't think we had one go on well, matthew. I, well i'm gonna say keep it 90s because if you go if we're talking 90s there wasn't a are we talking transfer window or old-fashioned deadline day deadline day mm. It's difficult because United didn't really do that back then. I mean, a lot of big clubs didn't really. If you remember, it was a lot of it was a lot of journeymen used to go and go to and fro. No offence to Middlesbrough. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> hey, mate, we were the Manchester United but, eleven for quite. But some it tended time. to be it tended to be those kind of transfers. I mean, off the top of my head, if we're talking shock favourite transfers, the one that would always spring to mind for me was the was Andy Cole. I know it wasn't deadline day, but it was a January transfer. Near there, yeah. Yeah, it was near the end. Yeah. But it's just it was one of those sort of the last of those sort of um, you know. Do you remember where you were? Kind of moments, you know. The... Were you starting to lose Keith Gillespie? Yeah, Gillespie went, didn't he? It was six million plus Gillespie. He was valued at one million pounds, so it's one, a seven million transfer kitty. And Keith Gillespie, who yeah, many people thought was the were the new George Best at the time, apparently. Yeah. Maybe that's what maybe that's what they told Kevin Keegan when they 
put him in the package for a million quid. But um, um, I think the bookies literally were the bookies would agree that he probably was the next George Best. Oh. <laughs> allegedly, allegedly. Yeah. I don't know. Did best book? I don't know. If, was best a gambler? I don't even know that much. Well, that could be a rubbish like, comparison. I like to think Not so. so much. No, best did other, best had other vices. Yeah, yeah. Lady vices for most of them. Um, in terms of QPR, I don't. I really can't really think of someone in the 90s we signed that late on in a, on a deadline. I think Steve Hodge came in on quite late in the season once, but now we're really, talking. Yeah, it didn't really make much of an impact in a hoop shirt. I mean, if we're talking modern day, Jibriel Cisse would be the one that I, I would say Ooh. made the, the when, most when, when impact. Did, uh, when did Christoph Samba come in, just going into really modern day? That was keep the, it 90s. Yeah, we should, I, we won't keep it 90s just for this anecdote, which was probably on the <laughs> most dodgiest sign-ins in modern football history. He came on deadline day what year was that the second year of the Premier League what 2013 it could be around 12 mm. God, I, I, these these new years these modern years I get all mixed up but yes and some he it was, was a red nap signing yeah he was a red nap signing our record sign at the time I think it was like something like 10 million was absolutely dog awful had a terrible game against Fulham where he scored an own goal and let two in or one of them was completely his fault and then we sold him for 11 millions back to Russia if that's not a dodgy Harry Redknapp deal I don't know what it is <laughs> But, well, you know, I mean, he's he's not working anywhere now, is he? No, he did. Yeah, he was he was a great player for Blackburn, but definitely his legs are gone by the time he reached Loftus Road. As of most of that squad that Harry Redknapp built in that second Premier League stint. But anyway, by the way, I need to pull you up about something. Go on. I understand we've taken a first team coach from you. You have, yeah. Curtis Fleming, well, he's back to his spiritual home, really, isn't he? Uh, and a Middlesbrough player from the 90s. Uh, definitely a player. He's, he's, there's contrasting views on, on Curtis as a coach. Obviously, unless you're there day to day, you don't know what to believe. But some say he's done a good job. Some not so happy with some of his uh, decision-making, let's say, as a defensive coach. So it'd be interesting what to see. I'd say, what I'd say as a Middlesbrough fan is... He's a very popular man. Yeah, I have heard he's a nice guy, regardless of what his um, coaching standards. Yeah, have been I mean like. beyond beyond anything like that, I don't really know. But yeah, um, but he's Pulis, very well liked. I, I imagine Pulis must see something of him because have you guys got Jerry Francis there? Because he usually brings Jerry Francis with him. I haven't heard no, anything yet. like that. No, but yeah. it's probably coming. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, we will get to this subject. <laughs> oh, I love a tangent on this late night Hollyoaks edition. This is going to go on for about four hours. I know. Yeah. Yeah. I've got another one up. I've got another one up my sleeve as well, but I'm going to save it for, you, okay, for you, a minute. Okay, you save it. What, another deadline day signing? Go on, if you've got to do it now while we're on the well, subject. Well, what I'll say is, and you know how I love to date a podcast, and I'm going to get a, a firm warning here to keep it 90s, but as we record this, we're, we're what, an hour or so away from... The anniversary of Trevor Francis signing for Forest oh, in 1979 to become Friday. the first, mm. allegedly the first million pound British transfer. He um, he went. Clough allegedly said he was only going to spend 950,000 pounds on him because he didn't want to make him the first million pound signing. But they they claim with taxes and VAT he was one point. One eight million pounds, I think. But as I it told out, it was it, like nine 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 nine. It was, yeah. Well, it it was, but then with the, with the add-ons and tax and VAT and whatever else, it was over a million. It was about one point one million. But yeah. as it turns probably, out, he wasn't thought he could avoid the tax. You can't libel the dead. Well, mm. yeah. And if you remember, well, yeah, you'd see footage of that uh, day. He was paraded in front of the press when. Uh, Clough was there with his red PVC jacket and squash racket. Oh, yeah. Just come across the road from playing squash. <laughs> they, and... 
different different eras, different days yeah. completely. Here's his one, Mick talking about throwing people under the bus. Who was Burroughs and who was May United's first one million pound players? Do you know offhand? Oh, I don't. Hey, Dampot. Oh, he's straight. Yeah, I would from Manchester would. United actually. Oh. Yeah, he was an yeah. absolute disaster at the club. Next question. <laughs> but he, he he went on. He went on. He's, he's very fondly remembered at Sunderland, is he not? Peter Davenport. I, don't I know, know it's nothing to do with Middlesbrough. Absolute disaster for Borough. He lives not far from me over on the uh, on the Wirral here, and he's looked. He always, I see him talking a lot about Sunderland and Sunderland fans remembering him as a great a great hero of the nineties, um, early nineties, because he left United in eighty nine, I think. Yeah, he came to us. Um, we've got. Him I remember one point yeah. one for us. Ash, you yeah, know, he, you've obviously got it in front of you. Uh, no, I haven't got it. I was looking at the Man United's actually. I haven't got. I haven't looked at that one yet. But okay, well, he, it what, might the, be. I think he was nine hundred thousand actually, and then we and then I think our first million pound signing was Neil Cox under Brian Robson, which uh, he's excellent for us actually. We really loved him. We got him from Villa for like one point one, I think, and then it was Jan Fjord. So I would say our first million pound signing was, and this is just completely off the top of my head, was Neil Cox, but Peter Davenport was the one. It was close. Matthew, do you know my was, um, Well, well, I'm thinking—is it Gary Bertels? Was he a million? Or we? It's either Bertels or Robson. Isn't it? I think it's Robson. Looking at the lead. Robson, Robson was one point five. One point five. No, no, it was one point five. I'm just trying to think. I know Bertels was a big, big sort of high-profile signing that went terribly wrong. I wasn't quite sure if he was up to a million. Maybe he was about eight, nine hundred thousand. But Robson was definitely one. One point five million signed. Yeah, signed on the pitch before United played Wolves in '81. They set up like a school desk on the pitch, and um, Ron Atkinson's there, and, and Martin Edwards. <laughs> well done. And uh, yeah, he, and he signed. There's, there's pictures. Well, there's footage of him sat on the pitch in a sort of like a trestle wooden table, like a decorator's <laughs> table, signing a contract. And he, his role was to come in and replace Sammy McElroy. And that day, United won five 0 and Sammy McElroy scored a hat trick. And uh, well, yeah. Obviously, it didn't didn't change history because Robson went on to be be a club legend. But that was sort of McElroy's last real Harari. He must have known what we was coming. We should do I a thought. podcast about Brian Robson. Yeah. Well, there's going to be a nineties yeah. icon. He's kind of eighties, but yeah, we could we could get away with it. I think. Hey, not to me, he's not. No. Oh, yeah. Well, he, no. He, he won his first league championship in the nineties. Very so. true. Yeah. Yes, he did. Um, yeah. Breaking news from the 1980s: um, Gary Bertels 1.25. So maybe he did become before Brian Robson. Yeah, I, t- I had a feeling he was because he was so high profile and he was in that era of you know, those big signings, obviously brought about by Francis. And um, Bertels was that sort of era. And um, but horribly wrong. I don't think he, I don't think he scored in it. I think he went 25 games without scoring a goal or something stupid like that. He was a terrible start to his United career, and it never really got any better, to be honest. So. Well, that brings yeah. me nicely Did I get to... Did I um, right, Ash? Um, oh, you want me to Google everything? <laughs> well, I'm looking at it now. I'm Googling it now myself, man. You Google that while I tell everybody who QPR's first £1 million sign and everyone's going to be up, let out a huge groan because it was Roy flipping Weggerly. Thank oh, you very much. So that was mate. £1 million very, very well spent by QPR. And, and my little hero who I've got on my desk as a Sabutio figure, the only Roy Wegley Sabutio figure in the world that you can buy. I've got it sitting right at my desk. Thank you very much, Hallie Inc., friend of the show. Anyway, well, Joel Googles that. That's talk about today's theme. No, no it's, just, it's not even on Wikipedia, so I'm not even bothered. No, don't worry. We've we got our joint number 13 highest paid uh, signing is Mido. <laughs> Bloody hell, Mido. He's oh, he's yeah. had a few burgers in his later life, I tell you that. I we keep pitching. talking about his excellent Twitter profile picture, which, if you haven't seen it, go and have a look at it. It's oh, awesome. 
Yeah, I saw that the other day, actually. You're right. Okay, that's talk transfers in 1996. The great summer of 1996 that we've talked about many times on this podcast. We did two shows on Euro 96. Everyone loved it. It was one of the, it was the great... If you lived that summer, you know why. The music, the politics, the TV, the films, the football, everything was fantastic in that summer. Whatever happened afterwards, what went wrong or right, we all loved that summer for whatever, you know, for that many of those reasons. So let's start in Spain. Let's go to sunny Spain, where it was always, uh, you know, glamorous and sunny. Even though it was quite a sunny summer in England that year, if I remember rightly. Um, what I'll do, then that's, I'll read out the top 10 transfers of that summer and then we'll just pick out a couple uh, and talk about them so start at the very top who broke the transfer record before it was broken again that summer by a certain Mr Shearer which we'll talk about it was two days later wasn't it yeah it was really it was really near I can't yeah I think you're right I think it might have been two days but that was Ronaldo the original the only Ronaldo in my eyes um, who went from now known listen to this on Wikipedia Ronaldo open brackets Brazilian footballer close brackets He's worthy of more than that. We'll just put El Phenomeno, or whatever his nickname was, or or R9. Not just Brazilian footballer. Come on. Ronaldo, open brackets. Even his his address is en.wikipedia.org forward slash wiki forward slash Ronaldo underscore open brackets Brazilian underscore footballer (laughs) close brackets. I mean, he deserves more than that, doesn't he? Much more than that. Water. I mean, if, if it hadn't been for injuries, he'd be, you know, with a very, very, very great. But yes, he went to PSV to Barcelona for 12.8 million, which is ridiculous. But we'll talk about that in a minute. And then the rest of the top 10, Maratovic to Real Madrid. Rivaldo made his first foray into Europe, signing for Deepo Liverpool. Carpin to Valencia. Davos Suka. Yes, we're going to talk about him to Real Madrid. 5.1. Fanidi George. There's a name that, you know, keeping it 2000s, went to Ipswich. Uh, he signed for Real. <laughs> he started Real Betis in this year, in this summer for five million. Giovanni to Barcelona for five million. Romario from Barcelona to Valencia for four point eight million. Victor Bayer, goalkeeper Portuguese, um, he went to Barcelona for four million. And Clarence Seedorf to Real Madrid three point two million. Um, let's talk Ronaldo first of all. As we we're saying already, it's ridiculous these open bracket Brazilian close bracket because R nine. Especially in this season, you look at the stats in an era where I think we're now kind of become sort of sort of blasé to Ronaldo stats, as in Cristiano Ronaldo and Messi. But in the season that he signed, so this is the 96-97, 47 goals in 49 games for Barcelona. Ridiculous for that, especially in that era. UEFA Cup, Copa del Rey, Ballon d'Or winner in that one season. Talk to me, people, about Ronaldo. Well, I, I actually read, I was reading something today actually that, uh, that before the age of 21, Ronaldo broke the world transfer record twice. Twice, now yeah. Would, yes, yeah. Yeah, now that would make sense, wouldn't it, looking at these dates? I mean, that that is some uh, that is some credit to have, isn't it? But 21 year old, broken the world transfer record twice. And and the thing is, looking at these statistics, obviously it doesn't work very well on, on radio, so to speak, but you know, 12.8 million, the. The next down from that is 6.4 million. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's as good as twice, mm-hmm. if not more, the best, the next best um, fee going. So that, well, I say you it's get what kind you pay of, for. It, but. It's kind of churlish to do that sort of, when I was a kid, you could go out for a tenner and you could do this and you could do that. But with him and with Shearer, who we're going to talk about later on, the fact that you could buy both of them at that time for 28 million quid. 
Yeah, but, it, but it's less it, than David Louise now. If you yeah, want to be it's a, a Gilfie really Sigerson about it, <laughs> uh, but <laughs> you know David, Lu- David Louise and still have enough to buy a, a cell night Riverside Stadium. Uh, that, that's just insane. Yeah, clearly. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it is. We're probably going to, you know, playing nineties bingo here. We're going to probably say it many times on this podcast. But it is relative, isn't it? But but what is interesting is that it is so. There is such a vast gap there, isn't there? It's not. He didn't go for twelve point eight million, and someone and Suka. If Suka went for ten, eleven million, you could probably go, yeah, that's about right. But to think Dava Suka, who was a hot, hot property at the time, went for mm. a third Five of what Ronaldo one. went for is it's astonishing, really, isn't it? It just goes to show what he was what he was valued at. But it, I think it showed you at the time what I mean. Twelve point eight million is probably still going to buy you a stadium. Buy your Loftus Road. The, the Middlesbrough Stadium. The Middlesbrough Stadium cost us fifteen million quid. It probably isn't going to cost that much more than that, depending on where you are. To to build a big stadium, these people are going for so much crazy amount of money. But you know, God bless them. I'm on their side. I think. I mean, it is as you, as you said, Matthew. It's going to be all relative. But even at twelve point eight million, those stats. All right, they didn't win the league. Is probably the only thing that you could say. The asterisk to to that season, Real Madrid won the league uh, the following season, which we'll talk about in a second because that two of these people in this list helped them win that league. But I just remember that UEFA Cup run. I remember that Bobby Robson loved him because he was Barcelona manager at the time. There's that famous clip of a, I can't remember who the goal is against, but it's one of the, a typical Ronaldo goal, pace, power, leaving defenders for dead. I think he goes around a couple. Then you see Bobby Robson doing that famous jig on the touchline. There, there was a real bond between them two. And unfortunately he was sold the next season to Inter Milan just because they offered silly money. Again, I think they broke the transfer record on that one as well, as you were saying, Matthew. But I think of all these players, even to a certain extent, Shearer, because as good as he was for Newcastle, they didn't win anything. I think that one season, I think they would have taken that twelve point eight million, wouldn't they? And just laughed because they got pretty much what they what they wanted, didn't they? Yeah, they did. But but that's a funny point in itself, isn't it? To think they spent this much money on a player, a world record at the time for all of two days, and then a year later he went somewhere. Else. Mm. I mean, that's almost unheard of now, isn't it? I mean, I, I know that maybe not nowadays, but to think if you broke the bank that much. To sign a player, and then twelve what was it? Twelve months later, he left the club. I mean, there'd be. I, I think it's almost like capitulating and and sort of telling other clubs that they are bigger and stronger than you. I I I am a Middlesbrough fan, but on the sly, I like Manchester United. It annoys me when they sell their biggest players to, you know, like Ronaldo or whoever else. You know, yeah. we always know that if Barcelona or if Real Madrid come knocking they're gonna go and well that's yeah that's a very much a modern day thing and and you put united in there and i i i see this a lot with liverpool obviously living in liverpool i speak to a lot of liverpool fans and i hear liverpool fans now say oh well if if barcelona come in and they want um casino there's not much you can do and you think well, well you're yeah, liverpool football yeah club. i i think that they might not think that which is bizarre seeing as i'm not a liverpool fan but i think so how would that if you know liverpool has got as much right to it was the same with michael owen wasn't it i mean he was to say, yeah. "Oh well, then we made a profit because we sold him to Real Madrid." And to hell with that! Oh, you should have held on to him, and, yeah. he, and he could have. God knows what they could have done if they'd held on to him. Yeah, Benitez but, was never to, a fan, was he? But I don't. I just I don't like that mentality, and, it, and I see. I know it for years. It wasn't the case with United, but I got a feeling it will be now. I, you know, you do the thing with Ronaldo. It sort of it it, it broke the mold really, and it's almost set the, the pathway now for for players. I to, think that players. I think that players still would want to go and play for. United, um, but 
you know, well, you could argue Alexis Sanchez was in that. I, mean, I know the money was involved, but Alexis Sanchez yeah, but pretty much chose United. Yeah, and being fair, he's already played for Barcelona. He's mm. not going to go yeah. to Real Madrid. Especially. I would doubt whether he would have done it if Real Madrid had been in a bidding war for him. Oh, of yeah. course. No, I think it's hypothet- hypothetical. Yeah. But, I, mean, I agree if, as well. Yeah. If you, Ronaldo was tw- um, Sanchez was 25 and you had United going from Real Madrid or Barcelona. Well, it's kind uh, of. You know, I, Go on, sorry. This time of in, in the nineties, where you look at, I think Barcelona probably weren't the Barcelona. Well, they definitely weren't the Barcelona of modern era. So for, for Ronaldo to go to Italy the season after, yes, there was sort of problems with re- renewing his contract at the new camp. But when Syria A comes calling, who was still the league, just about at that sort of point, maybe it was a kind of bit of that—the chance to play as in the best league in the world, as it was kind of considered in that sort of, you know, definitely in the early 90s, going in towards the late, later version of the 90s and into Milan with yeah. a massive club at the time. But they, now, but if, you, if you go down this, if you go down this list now, how many of these players, especially in Spain and Italy, do you think would have come to the to the British League? And I think, if we're looking at it from the point that they're at now, I think all of them would have yeah. been in the British League. Yeah. I well, can maybe see Ronaldo being at Barcelona... Shearer possibly being at Barcelona. But beyond that, I can't see any other player on this list of 30 players that wouldn't be anywhere else but in the English League. Yeah, not Andy Booth, no? We'll get to him. (laughs) (laughs) No, he wouldn't be in the English League, but it would be like League 2. Yeah. Um, So, behind Ronaldo, I mean, here's a name we haven't really mentioned, mainly because I can't pronounce it properly, but Mijatovic, Pred Mijatovic, who signed for Real Madrid for 6.4 million from Valencia. He was Valencia. He was the top scorer in La Liga the season before. Um, Probably not as high profile at the time as Ronaldo. Obviously, as Matthew said, it was almost less than half the fee of what Ronaldo paid, but it paid dividends. Not only did he help Real Madrid, along with Davos Suko, who we'll talk about in a second, win the league, he also scored the winner in the Champions League the following season as well. And he's probably somebody, doesn't get a lot of mention, but quite a big name in kind of that sort of era for Real Madrid when they weren't the powerhouse that they would go on to be in the sort of Galactico area. Do you have any, Joe, I'll go to you first, memories of kind of Mijatovic of the time? I just remember him scoring... Was it like about 30 goals at Valencia or something yeah. in that year before he moved mm. to Real Madrid? So he was always seen as being a bit of a powerhouse. And I, I, I kind of, and forgive me if I'm wrong, but I, I always remember him and Shearer being mentioned in the same sentence kind of thing. And um, did he score in the Champions League? Yeah, in the final. I'm just pulling yeah. stuff out of the absolute deepest, darkest corners in my mind yeah he now. scored in the, the, the following season it's absolutely one of the best goals ever scored in a Champions League final as well it's one of the most but he scored a ton for Valencia and then then went to Real Madrid and yeah but he's not one that sticks in the mind is he really I mean I'm sorry I've now just finally pulled up the stats but then he went to Fiorentina for three years Levante for a couple of years absolutely just not in my head at all no, and I'm it's the same. peculiar that, yeah. that there would be a player from not the dim and distant past, but sort of in the recent Premier League era, for want of a better term, that we sort of really don't know that much about. I think because he played for Yugoslavia as well, who were pretty much, an, you know, well, they weren't a country by the end of the decade, but yeah. didn't do a lot in an, any major tournament. He never really got to show himself on the world stage. And you have to remember for people who are, are listening who didn't, who weren't around at that time, we had no access to foreign football, <laughs> there was no internet, there was no sky. So we. What well, we this see- is this is an interesting thing, isn't it? That we that we say about this is that now everybody has got an opinion on every player yeah. ever. 
and and what what now you know you can go out and find all that stuff but back in the day you had to trust in what uh sky told you what um the newspapers told you and and when you got a player and it'd be like oh my god this guy's got this many stats and this does anything the other it just you know it just didn't work <laughs> sometimes when it didn't work it didn't work. He couldn't go on YouTube and find his best goals. Exactly. <laughs> it didn't exactly. exist. So I think that's the case of Mjatovic. I think he was a sort of an era where we just didn't see him because we didn't see a lot of Real Madrid and we didn't see a lot of Valencia or, as you say, Fiorentina. Only, the only thing we saw of Italy was on Channel 4 on a, on a Sunday where we'd get one game and a few highlights. We did. We saw very little. There was Spain of the Spanish League in the 90s, which was such a shame considering the amount of talent they had in that league. Um, but yeah, he went on, did a great job and uh, with somebody who, who Matthew mentioned a second ago, Davos Suka, one of my favourite favourite, favourite players of the decade. And on that point, because what we saw, what he did at Euro 96, he was somebody we hadn't heard of, came in, scored some magnificent goals. That goal, obviously, the one everyone remembers against Denmark, and then got his move to Real Madrid. Did very well. I mean, his stats here, 24 and 38, which, again, relative to this, people might sniff out, but that's a great record in that era for a, a big club like Real Madrid. Mafia, I mean, Davi Suka, he... he doesn't get, for me, the amount of credit he deserves now when you look back at what a great striker he was. Yeah, he was a, he was a great player. We, we, we spoke about him briefly the last time we, uh, the we last did. podcast yeah. we did when we spoke about that Croatia team. He was, a, he, he was just a, he was like a, a silent assassin type player, wasn't he? Straight face, didn't really show any emotion, just clinical and, uh, and, and deadly. And that, I mean, we're going to talk about this a lot on this, this podcast. A lot of these transfers are very Euro 96 heavy and, uh, some of them for the right reasons, some of them for the wrong reasons, one of which I'm sure we're going to talk <laughs> we'll, about we'll get soon. To we'll get to Carol. But, um, but I think with Sukari, justified his... Quite often with big tournaments, you get players bought on the, on on a whim, on the back of a, a good performance. But with Suka, he was he was quality, wasn't he? I think um, yeah, I think if Madrid hadn't gone for him, I'm sure he would have gone, gone elsewhere. And um, again, more than justifies a, a transfer fee of a measly... Five million pounds. I mean, I mean it's, it's it's amazing that he's was he fifth, sixth on this list. Yeah, yeah. And that's 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 incredible, isn't it? Because it, at that time he must have been as, as as close to his peak and his prime as you as you can get to mm. think that he was a third of a third of the top uh, transfer fee at that time. Was, mm. I think he's, well, he's, he's he's tainted, isn't it? His his legacy in this country because of the poor spell he had at Arsenal and then West Ham, which is such a shame because he wasn't, as you say, at his peak at that point towards yeah. the end of his career. No, but the, the, then again, we're going back to this era where players still—I mean, I mean, they were still earning big money, but they still—you still tended to get those sort of obscure signings where you—I mean, you can't imagine a player doing that now, can you? Going for a huge record fee after a, a European Championship or a World Cup, and then we'll, three or four we'll year, get years later, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Again, we we'll put that on the list for for later on, but it's just—it's just strange to think that a, a player would do that, but. Oh. Different times, I suppose. But um, well, that's that's switch to switch to Italy. Unless anyone else wants to pick out any other names, we haven't really completely touched on there. Does anyone else want to? You know, there's some big names there. Mario, but I think we've talked about him before, and it was more of his Barcelona days. I mean, Clara Seedorf, that turned out to be a fantastic buy for Real Madrid at three point yeah. two million. It's absolutely ridiculous. But yeah. that's let's switch across the uh, Europe to Italy and, and do their top ten. The number one, which we'll come back to, is very much like I think Mijatovic as well, because he's somebody I had to have to remind myself about. Um, Enrique Chiesa who went for um, 10 million to, from Sampdoria to Parma the, the Parma team who are slowly becoming, becoming that team that we'd see in the late 90s with Buffon and Cannavaro into the next decade um, and then Alan Boxix which uh, I'm sure Joel will have some 
thoughts on him as soon as he joined the mid of the revolution later on his career Oliveira, absolutely uh, Fiorentina to 5.3 Lillian Turam from uh, to, to Palmer as well 4.5 that was his first big move um, I think did I put Turam in my um, team of the 90s your well, I think we both did yeah the World Cup ones yeah we did yeah, yeah we no. did yeah where he's 98 performances, those goals in the semi-finals against Croatia. Um, then we go to Valencia, not that he's the player who went to Reggie, Reggiana, which is a surprise name. Reggiana, I'm mm. probably pronouncing, I'm butchering the Italian there. 4.2 million, who are now in Serie C, which says a lot. I was going to say, we should, we should maybe do forgotten teams. Yeah, definitely. There's, well, there's, there's, about six, there's about six of them on this list. Yeah, Palmer, obviously, right. not, that, the, that's, not the one. That's, 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 <laughs> <laughs> but that's the funny thing about this... Um, this list, not just in Italy, but if you go through Spain as well. I mean, now if you produce this list, say in five, ten years' time, if we if we're doing a podcast like this in years to come about the 2010s or whatever you want to call we're, it, we'll be in bed at this point in ten years' time. But yeah, yeah, well, hey, I'll be at home. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, these these lists will be dominated by probably two clubs. Yeah. They? But you look at these lists, even in Spain that we just gone through there. You got. La Coruña, you got Valencia, you got Betis, and then now going into Italy, you got Palmer, who obviously look spent, let's spent not money. Avoid, hold on, let's not avoid the elephant in the room. There well, is we'll get, no we'll get to way that. that Middlesbrough get two of the top ten transfers in England ever again. Ever? No, but 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 you see, this is before we go on to that. That this is it shows that that wasn't just a freak in the Premier the English Premier League. There were obviously a lot of clubs Money around Europe at the time. Even, yeah. yeah, and it's interesting when you look at it on paper like this or on screen like this. It is. I say, if we were looking at this in years to come, it would be Real Madrid, Barcelona, possibly United, and maybe the odd City. You know, yes, yeah, City. Like, um, but you know, to think that Reggiana and. Uh, Palmer and Udinese, yeah. Udinese. I mean, it's, it's, it's. I hadn't really registered it until we, till we looked at it here. It's uh, obviously it is a different time. I mean, we can't pretend it's it's like it is now. But it's like you said, there does seem to be a more the, the wealth does seem to be more um, spread out. If there was the wealth, because Palmer ended up going out of business, didn't they? Or getting yeah, themselves well, in they were some very close so. to. Yeah, yeah, they're very close. So, to just, uh, so maybe. Finishing off that list then, uh, Francesco Toldo went to Fiorentina for four million. Amoruso to Udinese, as we mentioned. Um, Protti, uh, who was Bari's top scorer, if I remember rightly, the season before, went to Lazio for 3.7 to replace Alan Boxic and had a terrible time, never really became the player they thought they were buying. And then these last two names, I mean, the bedrock of France 98 that was signed for less than 10 million for both of them. Yuri Djokaev to Inter Milan and then Zinedine Zidane <laughs> to Juventus, 3.2 million. At- yeah, they- this this struck me when I saw that. I assumed this was one of those, you know, he, he was what four, three, four years off his sort of mm. peak as becoming the best player in Europe. So this is almost, and Joel will appreciate this. It's almost a top of the pops reference. You know, in the old days with the charts, when records used to go up the charts instead of going in at number yeah. one, and coming <laughs> coming down. It's about to come on in a minute, actually. So I might yeah. have to put it on silent. <laughs> but. But what Zidane's done there has almost gone in at the ch- in the charts at number fifteen and worked his way up to the to the pinnacle of being Europe's well, top only, player, hasn't it, he? Yeah, two years later, he was lifting the World Cup as the best player in the world. It's it's not that. Yeah. It's not like a, a five ten year thing. I mean, but then he no. plummeted like a stone. Well, that but was see, next decade, yeah. But if, but if, if that <laughs> was now, if he if that was now he had been he would be purchased purely on the premise that he was going to be or what he could be. Yeah. So he would probably be a a fifty million pound signing because they would think, well, we've got to sign him now in case someone else does. Whereas then it was almost someone would see the potential, and then he would then become his next move would be the big one, wouldn't it? 
Yeah, just like you, like a chart record. Him along with Alan Boxes, who went to Juventus that season, they helped Juve, Juve win the league. Um, they won the uh, he won the World Player of the Year in '98 as well. They won one of the cups in Italy as well. So he was pretty, you know, six million for Boxic and three point two for Zidane. I think that was a good summer shopping for Juventus there. Um, quick, quick one on Enrico Chiesa. He's somebody like Muratovic. I had to kind of remind myself for um, he signed for Parma. I mean, is, it, was it the same for you guys? He wasn't a name that instantly struck with me as the rest of these. Um, it's not often I have that when I'm looking at '90s football. But again, I think that's because we weren't as widespread. Uh, of the players as we were, um, at, we are now. Um, do you remember this guy, Chiesa? I remember um, absolutely nothing about this lad. Yeah, and same as for a seven-figure transfer fee. That astonishes me. Like, because even now, you know, some players just go for that sort of figures, and you sort of go, "Well, I know they are," but that's like a mate. That's like somebody going for what hundred million now. Yeah, and and again, if you look at it, he's gone for ten million. Second. In the in, in the charts there is six million boxing. So again, almost double double the next yeah. man down, really. So it's not there's no there's not not nothing close in that at all, is there? He's obviously warranted a transfer fee double the guy next on the list. Yeah, and it's I mean I I don't like listening to podcasts where I feel like they're getting shortchanged. I think, but you've got three people here with I would like to think our knowledge combined is is vast when it comes to nineties football, and we're all kind of struggling to pick out not you know sort of moments from from this guy. I mean. They did finish. Palmer did finish second in Serie A, and he was part of that UEFA Cup team. Um, he partnered Hernan Crespo up front. That they won the UEFA Cup in '99, I believe it was. Mate, so, mate, what I would say is, you know, I, I you could have given me his name, and I would have thought he was an opera singer. <laughs> I really, you know, I just don't know this guy, and I know that's yeah. terribly ignorant. And I know I've watched loads of it, but just absolutely no recollection whatsoever. There was so much more important things going we, on in Italian football in the 90s. Are we going to file this one as under small club with lots of money with a statement to make? No, yeah. we're going to get that with the next oh, right. inside into the top <laughs> 10. <laughs> There's a reason. Like, there's a reason you're on this one, Joel. Let's be honest. Yeah. Sure. yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So yeah. I mean, I hope I, I read his Wikipedia profile. I mean, he played for Italy 22 times, which isn't a lot considering the talent they had in that decade. It's as well. sort of like an, an Andy Cole of the era. That's a great right? comparison. Yeah. I think. I think again, we're gonna plead the fact we didn't see enough of that league in the 90s to to say that but there are plenty of other names despite I mean, it being on channel 4 yeah. yeah but he only got a it's game and a few highlights it was probably the most know. watched league in Europe outside of uh, <laughs> well it was probably more it's probably watched more than the Premier League back then because it was on terrestrial TV so I, I don't know I think did it was I tell, a case did I tell this story about um, Don Howe did I tell this story Ash not that I remember because I would say keep your manager uh, in 1990. I think it was a Juventus title win in the 1990s. And uh, WWE Sunday Night Heat was being shown on um, Channel 4 at the time. And um, the wrestling got delayed because of this title, major title decider in Italy. So we started phoning Channel 4 up on the day, just going, where's the wrestling? Where's the wrestling? Where's the wrestling? Just doing it for a wind-up because we were television students at the time. And they actually went on on Channel 4 and went, um, oh, we won't be showing the wrestling today because we're dealing with this Serie A title decider. Uh, so the wrestling won't be on. But anyway, Don, what do you think of wrestling? And Don out turned around and went, well, I don't like wrestling. It's all nonsense sport, isn't it? So then we wrote more complaints to Channel 4. Oh, Don. <laughs> and they sent us loads of presents. 
so that was nice. Oh, Don, how dare he? I'm sure he'd love a bit of WWE in 2018. He would have loved the Royal Rumble. Great, great event, but that's for another podcast. Um, Joel, talk to us about Alan Boxix, who was a phenomenal player for Juventus and for Lazio around that era. What was he like at the Borough? Um, injured. <laughs> <laughs> Summed up in one word perfectly. Um, yeah, I think he was what he was meant to be part of. I think we got uh, Paul in, Paul or Con. I do remember him. Oh, God, Aussie awesome. guy, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, Australian guy yeah. played for Blackburn after us, mm. and Orcon was meant to be the guy. But um, Boxage, basically, I think if we'd have been able to keep him fit, he would have been a better version of Ravenelli. He was stronger, he was harder, he was he was very very well liked at the club, but they just couldn't keep him fit at any time. And the fact is, in ninety nine two thousand, when we nearly went down, I think. Or it might have been 2000, 2001. Um, we had Boxich, but uh, Terry Venables brought in uh, Dean Windass. <laughs> it's well the contrast. Yeah, I mean, there really is contrast about him. But Boxich, absolutely outstanding. Uh, hold the ball up. I mean, he's he still held in very hard re- high regard at the club. Um, I remember a goal. Didn't he score a winner at Old Trafford once? Am I remember rightly? Oh, we 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 score so many winners at all. Oh, hello. <laughs> hey, Middlesbrough are a jinx in the yeah. mid late Yeah, we really are. Lunch. We really are. We're one of those that we occasionally go. I mean, we've talked about Bernie Slade, haven't we? Getting his ass out in Ben's window. You know, you know this where we went. We yeah, went you to told that story. Yeah, three one, and you should get Bernie on one day to tell that story. It'll be, it'll be good fun. But yeah, um, Boxic is uh, was just a very strong player. And again, a little bit of the Ravinelli syndrome. He was probably at a club that was a little bit beneath his abilities. Oh, wow. And that's me saying it in the most... I don't know how do you say it. You know, I'm just being as honest as possible. Yeah, no. you know, the, 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 the club probably wasn't up to, his, um, to what he should have been. What were his uh, drinking abilities like? Did you ever see him out in town with the... Uh... Boxage, yeah, no. Yeah, well, no. Emerson was always out drinking. Um, Ravenelli was always in the uh, William Hills on um, uh, Corporation Road. But no, Boxage, no. I never heard any bad stories about Alan Boxage. Mm. We'll yeah. get to the other lad. Yeah, I think you, I, <laughs> the Emerson story I think you told in the first episode, funny enough. But that, we'll revisit that. Um, he scored Alan Box scored. Only scored seven goals in that ninety six ninety seven season, surprisingly for Juventus. But they did win the uh, Serie A title that season. Um, before we go to our guest today, um, did either one of you want to? I mean, we've talked to your Kai Evans and Zidane. We know the impact that they made. Same with Chiram at Palmer before Palmer imploded. Um, anyone else want a quick mention or anything? Or are we happy to to go to the guest and then talk Premier League? Should we do that? I think we should. Good stuff. Um, I'm, I'm agreeing. Okay, that's all right. All, all, all agreeing all round. So let's go to today's guest. He played for Wolves, Queen's Park Rangers, very briefly, and Reading in the 90s. Um, a midfielder stalwart, they used to call him. A big hero down at Molyneux. Not so much a Loftus Road, but we do get into that. Here's former midfielder Simon Osborne talking to me earlier this week on Alive and Kicking. Hey, this is Alexi Lawless, and you're listening to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. Remember... Keep it 90s. Do 
Joining me on the line now, uh, a former face from the 90s once again. He was a midfielder for a number of teams uh, across the top two divisions in the 1990s. Former midfielder Simon Osborne. Welcome to A Live Kicking, Simon. Afternoon. Uh, good to talk to you. Let's take you back then, as we always do here on the show. Uh, you began with your local team, I, I assume, in Croydon there with Crystal Palace. Uh, what do you remember about breaking into the team? Because I assume you were part of the old YTS and doing the chores and things like that. We were indeed, yeah, that's right. Obviously, I, I left school. Palace is my local club. Um, I was a top sport basically with Glenn Hoddle. Uh, fortunately, got spotted playing local football for Boyd and Surrey and then um, signed on a YTS team with Crystal Palace age 16, so straight out of school. A bit wet behind the ears and um, got thrown into a big wide world of football, really. So, yeah, as you said, it was, it was the usual stuff picking up chores, kids, uh, dressing rooms, cleaning down, helping out the ground, whatever whatever basically it was uh, cleaning balls, setting up pitches, anything they needed doing, we were, we were the guys that were sort of picking it up and doing it. So, started doing the white at 16, you know, cut the guys a bit older than me up there, obviously, and now England manager was Gareth Southgate, which was a year above. Um, and it was a good time, really, at, at that period. Uh, Palace were going reasonably well. The likes of Wright Bright, Jeff Thomas, you know, Mark, uh, Andy Gray, guys like that. So it was a great opportunity for me learning a trade. Fortunately, I managed to, to, to get a pro contract. I made my debut within a, a couple of years, so it's great for me. And like I said, a standout thing for me in that period of time, obviously, was managing to, to nick a goal in the opening Premier League um, day season 25 plus years ago now. Mm, indeed. It was quite an eventful sort of time in these early years for you at Palace because uh, you, you were part of the first division team. You were young player of the year in the in your first season there. Um, what was it like to be around the club with Cobble and, and, and around that time? It was quite a positive time at Palace. Yeah, it was. I mean, like I said, it's, it's a lot has changed. Uh, there was opportunities to break into the first team. Obviously, Steve Cobble, Alan Smith, uh, people like that were in and around the club. So they gave opportunities to young players. You know, I was in and around the first team from a young age. We didn't have massive squads, so we all mucked in. We played reserve team football, which would uh, be against potential players of other first teams that weren't quite playing. So it was a competitive environment, and like I said, I was very fortunate that I managed to break in. Did pick up that award, like I said, had a few bits and pieces of injuries and so on and so forth, but, but really enjoyed my time there. And I think it's still been good said going forward, not only as a player, but as a person. Mm, yeah, I mean, you won a couple of medals as well, and the first division title in 93, 94. Would that have been your highlight at your time at the Park? Yeah, I think so. I didn't feature as much as I would like that season. Unfortunately, got injured early on in the, in the, in the campaign. So, I had to fight that a couple of times. I didn't play as many games as I would like. And unfortunately, I left at the end of that season. But certainly a highlight for me. Anything that you win, especially being in the championships, is something to cherish. So yeah, you know, I really enjoyed it, and um, like I said, I had to make a decision at the end of that season um, whether to hang around. The team was obviously going up to the Premier League again. I didn't feel I played enough games, and my ultimate aim was to play as many games as possible, be a regular, um, and try and impose myself that way. So you know, I took the decision. I came back in pre-season, but took the decision to leave and move on to Reading. So uh, big decision. I, I thought it was for, for the right reasons, and footballing, footballing alone, it proved it proved right. Mm, yeah, you enjoyed it. It was, it was a successful season at Red. And unfortunately, you were part of that season where they changed the pyramid, didn't they? And you finished second and you didn't quite, you didn't get promoted. So you went through the playoffs and that heartbreaking final at Bolton. I mean, what, what was that season like in terms of the highs and the lows? Um, amazing. You know, like I said, so I wanted to play football. Um, the manager and Colin Lee had watched me in a, in a end of season game towards at Palace. Contacted me, went over, really, really enjoyed what they were doing. I just got promoted. So there was a real buzz around the place at the time. 
Um, and they wanted to, to build a sort of midfield around me and allow me to go and do what I thought I could do. So really enjoyed it. Got in there, started playing. Uh, loads of that season. Obviously, there's, there's two. I got injured on New Year's Eve. Um, unfortunately, done my knee quite badly. That played me up on and off for a couple of years. Um, and the low, obviously, at um, the playoff final. But the whole the whole season there, the amount of games I managed to play, the football we played, and the upsets we caused really. And like I said, the biggest disappointment was, was like you said, the pyramid producing down, and we only thought to um, ended up in the playoffs and not the automatic promotion. Was it still a, you know, a tick in the box playing at Wembley, even in that sort of? I mean, it was a bonkers decade for playoff finals. There was a lot of goals, and that was one of them. <laughs> but was, was it was it still playing at Wembley a big thing for you? Yeah, massive. You know, it's a, you, you, you watch games at Wembley since you know it's a kid. The FA Cup final was always a day event, and and to just be able to go there and play and experience the whole day was great. Um, I don't remember loads about it. I didn't watch the game for for a long time for obvious reasons, but. You know, that sort of catapulted me that season, brought me to the attention of other people. And, and like I said, it, it was a, it was a good year personally. Just the unfortunate of obviously us not going up with Reading, but it, it did lead to the club selling off a few of the players at the end of it to, to, to push themselves on. So mm. uh, I moved on again. Now, yeah, that including yourself. And, and you went to QPR. I'm a QPR fan myself, so I remember that season that you went there. Part of the money that Les Ferdinand got, got, got from the club from his sale. What, what didn't, because it didn't quite work out for your Loftus Road. I mean, what, how did you approach going there and what, what didn't quite work out at QPR? Um, basically, just all of it, really. I, I sort of went in with the impression, um, I knew I was playing at, at Reading. Um, I thought, I obviously met Barry Wilkins just to the end of my um, spell at Crystal Palace because he'd, he'd sort of left to go. Um, I'd left, sorry, to go to Reading and I thought it would be a progression of my career to work under somebody who I considered a, a midfield great who played for England, whatever, that would, would help progress my career. Didn't quite work out that way. Obviously, I started a little bit late in pre-season with the knee injury I picked up at Reading. Um, took me a bit of time to force my into the team. Obviously, they had a great season the year before. So, it, it, everything didn't quite didn't quite quick, didn't, didn't quite gel there, really. And I didn't play as much as, as I felt. Um, I didn't feel that I was playing in the position that suited me. Little things like that, and it just it just frustrated me a little bit. I was a young man that had played a lot of games the previous season, and I just wanted to play. So um, it wasn't quite working out. You know, myself and the manager had one or two differences, which which happens in every club. Mm. Um, and the opportunity arose again for Wolves. Mark McGee then took took over there, who had me at Reading. Um, the opportunity arose. The clubs talked, and, and I felt it best again. Like I said, it's not monetary. It wasn't. I didn't just want to stay in the Premier League. I wanted to play football. So I felt that Wolves at that time was was an opportunity for me to go um, and play games again at a big club. Mm, yeah, you mentioned a big club. I mean, the 90s were quite frustrating for Wolves. They never quite made it, including uh, your time there. But such a big club. How, how did you enjoy Molyneux and, and playing? Because I think when people think of Simon Osborne, I think Wolves is the club that they think of. Is, is Was that fair to say? Yeah, I think so. I spent, spent sort of six years there, ended up as club captain towards the end of it. So I'd probably say yes. Um, it was probably my most settled time. Like I said, things were things happening in football QPR. It was a good club. I liked the people there, the environment, the stadium, very tight, compact. I liked it all, but it's just frustrating as, as, a, as a young man. And, and probably looking back, if I'd done things differently, I maybe would have stuck it out a bit longer. But as I said, I'm, I was impatient. I just wanted to play football. And going to Wolves, when I saw the setup in the club and, and, it, and what it was, yes, it, it was. It was it was enjoyable. It was It was different. You know, I moved away from London for the first time, so a lot of things it helped me grow up a lot. Um, but like you said, we had a lot of frustrations. With, we had some fantastic players and good squads, but we just couldn't quite get it all together to get that that promotion up into the Premier League. So a lot of fans will see that that team and around that time and the players I played with, with the likes of Gordon Cowan, John Wolfe, people like that, Steve Ball, 
Don Goodman is. There's a multitude of players you can name um, of all fantastic players. Dean Richards, you know, God rest his soul. But all those players you're playing with and we just couldn't quite get that final over that final hurdle to get promotion. So frustrating for the fans, but also frustrating for us as players. You mentioned Steve Ball there. I mean, for, for people and fans of the 90s, they always remember him being... He never got quite that that top division chance, but played for England. How good? And how, Could he have done it at the highest level, Steve Ball? How good was Steve Ball? Steve Ball was a natural goal scorer. They, they, you know, these guys are revered now that, you know, putting the ball in there is probably one of the hardest things to do in football. And that's why they get paid the big bucks, effectively, in transfer fees nowadays. He was just a natural, natural goal scorer. The ball would drop and it would be in the back of the net before you blink an eye. Um, loved playing with him. Uh, I think he enjoyed playing with me at the time as well. You know, I fortunately like to play forward, make, take a few chances here and there with balls. But like I said, you're wholehearted. Um, run around and give centre half nightmares for, for, for 90 minutes and like I said he'll get that one chance and, and he'll score as he proved in the 90s as we went it might have been the 80s actually when he scored for England on his debut so yeah, he would have done it. He would, it yeah he would have done it 100% he would have scored goals at any level Steve Ball played at mm. finally we always ask the players of the decade this is uh, who was the best player you played with possibly could be Steve as you mentioned there and who's the best you, you played against of that decade uh, best against is really easy Gaza yeah. Um, was the best player I ever played against. You know, he had everything at the time I played against him at Tottenham. Young lad coming through, um, he could control the whole game. Long range passing, short range passing, dribbling, scored goals, box to box. He, he had a complete package. Obviously, without the injuries, still he's a fantastic player and world class. And we haven't replicated him since. He was the best player I played against. Uh, best players I played with. <sighs> difficult. Um, probably couldn't name one. Obviously, Toby V and Wright was fortunate. Steve Ball was a natural goal scorer. Robbie Keane was a fantastic mm-hmm. player. Again, you're, you're naming all these sort of centre-forwards. Gordon Cowans, when I first joined the football club, um, was a great footballer. Honestly, I was fortunate to play in that era when there was probably too many to mention, if I'm honest. I couldn't yeah. particularly pick one. I really yeah. couldn't pick one who I played mm-hmm. with. I was very, very lucky to play against some, some good players. But again, Gazza stood out. Very, very lucky to play with some good players. And, and like I said, I couldn't probably pick one. It's too difficult, too difficult. Mm-hmm. And what are you up to these days? Well, are you still in football? What, what, what is Simon Osborne um, doing today? Simon Osborne's day-to-day job is I'm a, a project contracts manager for a building company in London, um, looking after numerous projects around here. So, unfortunately, I had to go back to the day-to-day job um, of doing what I've done. Managed to, to, to project manage a couple of houses that we built sort of up in Wolverhampton during my career. So, natural progression to fall back into that. A um, little bit of football. I've uh, been out of non-league now for a few years sort of watching the kids grow up a bit older now but I do still coach with another former player of mine Bobby Bowery mm-hmm. he runs an academy um, I do a Monday night there trying to impart what little knowledge I have between the 8 to sort of 16 year olds um, for a couple of hours a week there and, and still enjoy that which is linked in and like I said they're linked in with, with Crystal Palace obviously the, the Mark Bright relationship with Bobby and myself um, and those guys go on to there so he runs an academy so that's still me in football go and watch a lot of non-league um, and every now and then, managed to turn up with a, free, uh, a couple of free tickets at places like Reading and Wolves, um, and, and go in the boxes and, and talk a lot of rubbish about what I did and didn't, and why I fell out as a manager. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, great stuff. It's great to look back on those memories, Simon. Thank you very much for talking to us. No problem at all. Cheers. Thanks a lot. Ash, no problem, mate. Thanks, buddy. Cheers, mate. Bye. Cheers, mate. Bye. Hello, this is Luis Amor Rodriguez, and you are listening to Alive and Kicking, the '90s football podcast. Okay. Now, where is Linda? Oh, did you like that sting? Yeah, we've got a few of them in the can, don't you worry. Yeah, some some friends of the show there, as well as Simon 
Osborne of Thormley, QPR Reading and Wolves. Uh, we're talking 1996. We've done Spain. We've done Italy. Big names there. Plus one we weren't all sure of, but I'm sure we'll get lots of people tweeting going, don't you remember this girl? Blah, blah, blah. Please educate us. I want to know more about Chiesa from the 90s. But let's go to uh, England. There's two names on the list we're very familiar with, not just generally, but on this podcast as well. But quickly going through. So these are the top 10 transfers in the 1996-97, sort of the start of that season, that summer, number one, of course, is Alan Shearer. We'll talk about in a minute. Ravinelli, Middlesbrough, seven million. Roberto Di Matteo, uh, Chelsea, four point five. Carol Baborski, three point six. We'll talk about that with Matthew in a minute. Emerson, there we are, back at the bar, three point only three point five. Didn't realise that. Gary Speed uh, leads to Everton, three point four. Lee Bowyer, there's a random one. Charlton to Leeds, three million. Gary McAllister uh, leads to Coventry, three million. Andy Booth, yep, you heard me right, Andy Booth to Sheffield Wednesday for 2.7 million. And then Frank, I won the World Cup, Le Bouff, uh, who went to Chelsea for 2.5 million, and of course, went on to win the World Cup in 98, then didn't shut up about it for the next 10 years. Um, let's start with Shearer. Oh, hold on, hold on, Ash. You cannot slag Frank Le Bouff. I'm not slagging him off, I'm merely pointing out what he did. He won the World Cup and never shut up about it. Mate, I'd be on my deathbed, whether it's in 100 years, 150 years, regardless of what technology might do. Right, be there going, you know, mate. I was on Chain Letters in 1993, <laughs> and it's on YouTube if you want to go look for it. But I was on Chain Letters in 1993, and I'm sure about that yet. This lad won the World Cup, and you're dissing him. Crazy, dissing him. There's merely a, a certain level of arrogance you can you can get away with, and I think he uh, he totally. I think along. winning the World Cup earns you that. Okay, fair enough. He's he's no Lauren Blanc <laughs> though, is he? Or Stefan Givosh. If you um, want to watch me on Chain Letters when I was 17, it's on YouTube and it's awful. I'm, I'm going to do that. I'm not going to bed till I've watched that. Oh, mate, it's rotten. Who, I do who, who was the host? Was that Andrew O'Connor? Ted Robbins, but it was, oh. it was Andrew O'Connor originally, then Jeremy Beadle, and then when I was on it, it was Ted Robbins. Was that a daytime show? And then Dave Spikey did it after I was on it, yeah. Was that on a daytime? Was that one of those? Yeah, yeah. Was it was nine it, in the morning, ITV, yeah. Was yeah. it? Was it not? Was it going up against uh, Supermarket Sweep? Or, or give us no, a clue? No, it was in that slot. Yeah. That half yeah, nine, so... which is now uh, grabbed by Jeremy Carr. Oh, Because yeah. you, you had some clients. You had win, lose, or draw. Or oh, win, it? lose, yeah, or draw. All that stuff. My yeah, mum and yeah, dad used to like, love that. Used to have, what you used to have is you used to have a quiz show. You used to finish TVM at half nine. Then half nine, you'd have a quiz. Then 10 o'clock, you'd have the time to place. And then it would come on about quarter to 11 this morning till half 12. And then the news, yeah, or much, home and away, or the Sullivans, yeah. if you really want to be old. Yeah. Much better than the Jeremy Carl nonsense. Win, lose, or draw, Bob Mills. That was great. Well, no, no Mills, Danny, yeah. Baker, Danny Baker first. And then Bob, gonna be Bob Dan- Mills did it as well, though, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Yes, did. Danny Baker was, mm. was the first, yeah. Um, Alan Shearer. <laughs> um, I've told this story many times about him signing. I remember it coming up in the Olympics at the time um, during the coverage and Des Lynham telling us all about it. Good old Des. Um, Matthew, you're the main eyed fan. Were you scared when you saw £15 million world record fee being spent on Alan Shearer turning down Man United to sign for Newcastle? What do you remember about that moment? I don't remember being scared. I think the summer of 96, <laughs> I was too busy. Being enjoying myself to be scared <laughs> yeah um but it was just so huge i mean going back to something we spoke about earlier on he a bit like trevor francis that we mentioned earlier on putting it back to that non-90s reference but shearer went for 15 million the previous british transfer record was uh stan collymore mm-hmm. for just eight million was it just under eight million yeah so Shearer had almost gone, had gone basically for just not just he hadn't just broken the record. He dub, he almost 
as good as damn it doubled the English transfer record, which is pretty huge to think now, isn't it? I mean, if the the record now is what what is it, hundred million or so? I mean, for someone to say, oh right, they're going for two hundred million, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So suddenly, if it goes to two hundred million, I mean, it's, that's some big jump. And um, but it's, it's it's a funny one, isn't it? Because he's so it's looked upon as him making such a big mistake not going to United and what he would have done at United. But you've got to remember back then that. I'd say in the summer of 96, there probably wasn't a lot between the two. I mean, United had shipped out a lot of their sort of top players. And it's it's easy to say with hindsight now, oh, you know, the kids came through and everything. But uh, Newcastle were the big, probably the big power then. I mean, if you look at what they were spending um, and you throw in sheer hometown boy and all that, he, he probably believed that Newcastle were in the ascendancy. So looking back at it now, you think, well, what the hell was he thinking of? Because... You, you would believe that Shearer in that United team in 96, 97, 98 would have absolutely probably scored 50 goals a season. But I don't think it's as ridiculous as it seems now when you think about what the situation of the clubs were in back then. Because, you know, if you look at United's transfer, that transfer dealings that summer, um, the, well, one of the guys we're going to talk about in a minute, Paborski, 3.6 million. But other than that, they spent 1.2 million on Ronnie, John, Ronnie Johnson, 1.5 million. Yeah. Take Jordi Cruyff, is that the Jordi Cruyff? Yeah, Jordi Cruyff 1.4 and Solskjaer 1.5. So United were, it's, it's stupid to say they they weren't up there challenging, but it, it was, it's just that Newcastle looked like they were going to be almost like the Blackburn were three or four years before. So I can see why Shearer probably bought into it. And um, I'm not saying he didn't, he wouldn't have gone to United because all the reports suggest that he wanted to go, but... Uh, the Newcastle owner at the time was it John, to John Hall didn't Sir want to John sell him. Hall, yeah, and Freddie Shepherd. Uh, yeah, and they they basically uh, blew United out of the water. And Blackburn's owners didn't want to sell to United, and there was that whole storyline. To, to a so-called competitor. Yeah, I mean, well, they, they said they, that, if yeah. he if he was valued at fifteen million, uh, they said, well, if you're going to United, then it's going to be twenty million, and all these these stories that are probably true, but. Um, I don't know. It, it's one of those stories that you say you say it to somebody now, and they go, "I can't believe he turned that." But I can. But if you rewind that that era, you can see, and I might get people after me for this, but you can see I, how people may have thought Newcastle would have been the club for the next five, was, six years. I was living in the northeast at the time, and I'm a Middlesbrough fan, you know, obviously, and I absolutely get why he did it. And even now, I bet he has no regrets. No, I don't think he does. I bet he has absolutely no regrets about it. I mean, they didn't win anything. But would he have been as happy or as satisfied in his own career? You know, he is now, and I can't see this getting beat anytime soon, but he's the Newcastle United all-time top scorer. It's going to take someone very special, is it? Yeah, Yeah, and, and it's got to take somebody very special somebody like him and better than him and at a club that's going to be in the top flight for all that time. So I can't yeah. see that being... I hope, he, I hope he doesn't... I think that means a lot more to him Yeah, I, I hope trophies. I hope he doesn't have regrets, to be honest. And I think from a United point of view, it seems like United fans have more of a regret about it than he does. You get I a lot agree. Of, yeah. A lot of people giving him stick and saying, oh, you're greedy and all this, you should have gone there and you should have gone there. And I think, well, he went there for the reasons he thought were right, right or wrong. Well, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? Right? Hometown boy, if hometown you're, club. If, you're Alan, if, if you have the talents of Alan Shearer and you, Ash, as well, if you have the talents of that man, 
would you want to try to give your boyhood club a push when they were in the position Newcastle United were at that time? Would you yeah. want to try to do it to try to be the all-time king who brings a championship to your hometown? Yeah, I, I think. Club? Yeah, would you would. And I it? think I would. I'd do it I, all day yeah. long. I, I, I think. I just I, want to partner Les Ferdinand. That would be what I wanted to do. But yeah, go on. I think he just. I think he genuinely bought into it. I think he thought, like I said, I think. I'm not going to go. I'm not going to say, "Oh, United had peaked." They hadn't. I mean, they'd obviously had that great ninety-two, three, four, five, six era that we've we've discussed many a time, and we didn't know at the time where that was going to go. Like I say, a few players had left. It wasn't like they were bringing in big names. They were were relying on the kids, and I do remember that summer of, of, of players like Ince leaving and Konchelskis and Hughes, and thinking, "What the hell's going on?" It's it's great now where you've got books and TV shows and everything going on about it and saying, oh, well, what, what was everyone worried about? You know, that team that came through. But we didn't know that at the time. And that could have gone either way. So, in a way, I completely understand why Shearer did think, well, there's something happening here. It's my team. I'm going to buy into it. He did, he did it with Blackburn and it did work. Yeah, they won the league for one season. Maybe could have won it twice. But I don't think you can, I don't think you can knock him for that. And I think it's, I think there is a bit of an arrogance. I think there's a bit of a, you know, sort of a, rewriting history element of this whole thing of you know, what was he thinking of turning down United but maybe he thought that there was going to be a power shift in English football at the time I, I think we all we probably we, all did, we all did yeah. he was already a league winner yeah. so you know where should you go I, I, I think if I was in I probably would have given it a pop yeah, why not? And that's the it, fan. That's the it, fan. It would have been and, interesting. And it's kind of romantic, isn't it? That's what we like as well. That's why we're exactly. football fans. We yeah. want we it, want that link with players. And I think you know Shearer is definitely one of the last ones that did that. It would have been interesting had it been not been Newcastle that came and say it was yeah. Chelsea or you know any other team at the time that had a bit of money and a bit of ambition. I and what it wasn't he done now. I think he'd have done the same well, thing. I think he'd have done the same think thing. He'd still gone yeah. Newcastle. Because I think he, I think the challenge, a different kind of challenge, is there is to be the man well, like to, to to turn them into something to turn them into galvanate. Because you know they're a big club, as we always get shoved down our throats, oh, even though they've never won anything. It's you know big ground, one city, one city club, blah blah blah. I think he still would have done it. So um, yeah, that's I do admire him. And, sorry, just going back to what we were saying, something I said earlier on about club players all going to Barcelona and Madrid and everything. And you know, you see it with someone like Coutinho, a player who. Had he stayed at Liverpool for three or four years, under under the current manager, whether you like him or not, and, and I hope to God this doesn't happen, but you know, you could say, well, if you stay for a year and you stay for a year and you stay for a couple of years, maybe we could do something here. But now it seems to be that you get to a certain level and you just go straight somewhere where there's instant success. Whereas I think, in fairness to Shearer, he thought, no, I'm going to I'm going to try and create this for myself, and obviously it didn't work. And then he did pick and up. No, injury, I think I think that Shearer thought that he was the final piece in that puzzle. We all did, in we, fairness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh God, definitely, yeah. Yeah, I just didn't buy enough good defenders. Well, it, just, in. It, it just didn't quite work out, and you know, I, I for one am glad it didn't. Yeah, I can bet. Well, that's that's switch over then to the to Middlesbrough, and as you said, we've already there's two players on this top ten list: um, Ravenelli and Emerson. When we we've heard you, Joel, talk about them in sporadically throughout your appearances on here, but as you already said, to see Middlesbrough in this top ten and the amount of money they were spending in relative terms to 1996 is, is crazy um, I remember the Ravenelli we talked about again Des Lynham announcing the signing when we saw that as well Yeah. I mean just going over old ground but just while we talk about it it's just Ravenelli and Emerson exciting times with Borough tell, tell us what it was like at the time well you know we've talked about Ravenelli a million times um, 
so there's probably no need to go back over that. He, he was essentially the best striker in the world. You know, the best out-and-out goal-getter. Probably beyond Shearer being fair, but we certainly got the second-best striker. And he just scored the winning goal in the European Cup final yeah. against Ajax, I think. Yeah. And then we bought him and Viali went to Chelsea. But Emerson, we haven't really talked about. And Emerson was... Um, if we talk about Emerson, we're going back to the times where players would go to work for a manager who they admired. And and Emerson and Brian Robson were getting compared all the time. And there was no way that Emerson was coming to Middlesbrough unless Brian Robson was a manager. You know, he saw very much of himself. Um, Brian Robson saw very much of himself in Emerson. I, I suspect Emerson saw very much of himself in Brian Robson. Um it was it was one of these signs again, whereas now you would know everything about him. But all we knew at the time was he played for Bobby Robson at Porto, and everyone was after him, and we got him. And he was such an enigma of a player. And I know that's a bit of a cliche to call a player an enigma, but he really was. You know, he he was a hard worker when he wanted to be, and he would battling battle so hard when he when he really wanted to but then other times you know I I even now lose sleep thinking about the games where Emerson didn't really do anything yeah he's a, I'm just looking at his stats actually and like quite a collected career he never capped Brazil either he never played for Brazil I didn't realize oh wow that. okay I didn't know that yeah but he's also played in Greece he has a spell at Rangers as well and I mean I yeah he went, he went he, I think he was when when was he at Rangers Ash 2003 was he there at the same time as you know? uh, no Juninho was at Celtic well at Celtic yeah it could have been yeah I'm oh, maybe... sorry yeah sorry Celtic Rangers yeah. just forgot but it could have been could have been the same era um, Japan was, as well I'll tell yeah. you what I remember I remember being at the um, the cup final and he was uh, the the first one, the one against um, the, the one against Leicester. And I thought he should have been dragged off because he was clearly limping. If you if you go back and watch that game, which I'm sure you're not going to, but if you go back <laughs> and watch that game, that guy is hobbling about on one leg and still sliding on tackles. And I was going, take take Emerson off, take Emerson off. Everyone's going, oh, he's, he's our best player. And I'm like, he is, but he's knackered. Look at the stare of him. Um, but you know, when he had the heart in him. He had the heart in him. Great Corinthian figure. I always remember, and this is this is going into the into the into the then League One or whatever it was, Championship Division One. And he was he scored an absolute rocket. And and uh, Viv Anderson tells this story where um, he just had this shot, and Viv Anderson turned around and he thought that he wasn't going to. He just thought, oh, "That's gone over the bar." And the next thing you knew, all the Borough fans were cheering. And we won at Sunderland, you know. So um, didn't he score a screamer in that uh, replay as well? Was it? Yes, he did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that one. The the the, um, the Chesterfield, Ch- Chesterfield one. one. Yeah, I remember yeah, that goal. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, the best game I've ever seen in my life. We've <laughs> told the story, haven't we? When I went to that, we have. You've uh, told that story, mate. I think at least twice. <laughs> uh, well, well, we won't make it three times. But yeah, I, I, when Emerson wanted it, he was right on it. He was an awesome player. But he was one of them when he wanted it, and you know, and he owes me ten quid actually because we he hustled me at pool. But anyway. Good, good, good pool player then. That's what we know he was doing in Barrow then when he was on his off days of playing pool. That's what he did though. That's what he did. You know, he used to go around the pubs and that all around the town. He used to take his missus, although she said he, Middlesbrough was a horrible, terrible place. And he used to take her to the pub and that. And yeah. Was he a Emerson, drinker? Emerson was a wonderful player when he wanted to be, but when he 
didn't want to be, it was like playing ten against eleven. Mm. Was he? Did he enjoy himself, uh, Joe? Was he? Did he, was he a drinker or was he just more of a social? No, he used to guy? go out. And, he, no, he just liked to go out and have fun. Then that's a euphemism. Yeah. But yeah, um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> he used to, you know, he, he was well known for going out around the town, and and you know, he's just a funny player. You know, he's one of them that people, Middlesbrough fans, think sort of a lot of him, but not that much. Yeah, that's Does kind that of how sense? I remember him as well. Like. When I think of him, I think of, oh, what a player. Then I try and think of moments. They're very few and far between. That goal at Chesterfield being one of them, him, his hair being another one, but that's neither here or there, hair or there. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think he, he flattered. I like that. I like that gag. Yeah, he flattered to deceive. And that leads me on to somebody else who flattered to deceive. You mentioned his name already, Matthew, on this list. And we've always already said about these players that come into tournaments and clubs sign them off the back of the tournament which I miss I, that used to be a thing the Toto Scalacci thing as it became in 1990 but Karol Poborski the man who set the Euro 96 alight for Czech Republic with that beautiful one of the best chips still I've ever seen against Portugal you must have been quite excited to see him at Man United big hair girl's name and all but never quite worked out for him did it yeah well there's another one for the bingo card here isn't there Poborski you knew he would come up at some point um, yeah I do I feel a bit Sorry for him in a way, because so often you get these players that have a good tournament and then they get signed by somebody and they basically expose as being pretty rubbish. But I'm not sure Poborski was really that bad. I just think that he may have he may have come to United just at the bad time, the worst time for himself, really. Because obviously you had Beckham that was just mm-hmm. coming into his own at that time, didn't you? So whether again with these the kids as they're now known, whether Ferguson or anyone at the club could have foreseen what was going to happen. We don't know, but um, I suppose these days, if he signed, he would probably fit in a lot easier in a, in a sort of a squad system. He'd be signed and he'd play in European games and he'd get his, he'd get a lot more chances. But then it was almost a case of unless you you signed and you hit the ground running and you were a complete success, you kind of just you just sort of well fell by the wayside. And I just I think that's kind of what happened with him. And because I don't think he was that bad a player. No. Wasn't he? Didn't he go on to have a really good European Championships in was it oh four? Yeah, uh, he did, I think he did really well for Sparta Prague as well. I think he went on to yeah. them, and so, I do think he, so, yeah. he had his level, didn't he? And I think he had one good summer that you know could happen in those eras because you didn't see these players again and again and again, like Toto Scacchi, who who somebody in Italia ninety who was top scorer didn't really hear of him again after that, and because they had he had this one sort of bright spot yeah. in his career but, but I think that's a, I think that might be a bit harsh on him I, st- I think he was a, I, st- I still think he was a good player I just don't think it worked out and I don't think he was given the, the opportunity so you obviously have Beckham sort of on the on the wing but also played in he, he was playing in the centre of midfield a lot wasn't he so Poborski mm. probably was brought in to play on the wing and then Beckham ultimately went out on the wing himself so and Beckham scored that fantastic goal at the beginning of that season and so he's probably as he arrived that goal that didn't win goal of the season that year because Trevor Sinclair won goal of the season is that right my favourite goal of the 90s yeah rightly so and uh, the very same day that Middlesbrough got a a draw with Liverpool on the opening day of the season I think was it yeah go back to episode one we talk all about those things Um, so but yeah yeah, I think he was a little bit hard done to I'd say I just I think if he'd come to United in it's all ifs and buts, but I think if he'd come to United say five, six, seven years later, I think he would have fitted more into the way Ferguson was sort of creating that a bigger squad to compete in Europe. And we've talked about this before. United then were very much 
not down to the bare bones, but they weren't the sort of squad system that they had in the 2000s where you had probably two good players for every position and you'd get, you'd have runs in Europe and you'd, if someone was injured, someone else could fit in. It was almost, if somebody was excelling in that position, they just stayed in that position and that was that. And I just get the feeling with Poborski, he, I think he started off quite well that season, but then obviously as soon as Beckham hit the ground running, he, he had his nose put out of a joint really and he never really got the chance to... to um, Matthew, yeah. do, you think, do you think they bought him just for the sake of buying him? I do wonder you know, because... In, it, in the fact that, you know, he was one of the standouts of Euro 96, do you think... Yeah, and the thing is, we, we you know, again, we talk about United's transfer activity and they do, you know, they obviously are a huge buying club and more so recently. But it, but back then, if you look at who... We've spoken about this before. You look at who United signed that summer. Paborski, 3.6. But then you had Ronnie Johnson, 1.2, who was the most expensive Norwegian at the time. But I mean, 1.2 million pounds, hardly anything. Solskjaer, 1.5, unheard of. And Jordi Cruyff, who you could also probably claim to be a post-Euro 96 signing. But mm. it wasn't like now or in the sort of late 90s, 2000s, where clubs went in and bought someone for 20 million, 30, 25 million, that kind of thing. United were quite conservative in these days. And maybe I'm doing them a disservice. Maybe they thought they did trust this generation of kids that were coming through and we just didn't know about it. But it seems strange that they didn't buy more than they did maybe. And maybe Poborski was seen as the sort of token big signing. Maybe Ferguson or the club thought, let's get someone to just show that we're um, up there. I, I don't. I couldn't tell you whether Poborski signed after the Shearer signing or before, but um, I don't know whether it was like a knee-jerk reaction, maybe. Maybe so, it was, yeah. He scored it was but, 32 games, four goals, which isn't the worst record it's I've not, seen. But 32 um, games is, 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 is difficult to imagine now, isn't yeah, it? I mean, 32 games, is, that's, yeah. that's half a season. Yeah. But, yeah. but again, it wasn't. It wasn't really. It's difficult to think to compare it to now, whereas players now would you know, think nothing of starting in different positions or come off the bench, and even bench players. I mean, now he'd probably be a bench player, wouldn't he? He'd be an impact yeah, player. Whereas then, be, yeah, it was yeah. then it was more a case of well, if you don't, if you're not getting on, you're not getting a game, you may as well leave. Which is, yeah. Take, take Kibbutzki out of that though. Is that the best bargain? By summer that a club has ever spent. You think what Ronnie Johnson and Oli Gunnar Solskjaer did for that club in the latter part yeah. of the nineties? That's uh, my dad, who loves a bargain, would be bloody pleased. Yeah, with, with in that terms of spending, in terms of return on investment, I suppose you could call it, or uh, mm. what they the, the transfer hall and what they what they achieved with the club. Yeah, I mean yeah. Solskjaer, you know, won a European Cup, scored backwards of goals, scored and, goals win. as well. Yeah, yeah, scored. He probably won what four four league yeah. titles? Was it three? Mm. He's all right. He's, he did all right, that Sorry, Ferguson, Matthew. didn't he? Matthew, what did you think about the signing of Solskjaer at the time? Did you <sighs> think that was a nothing signing? And yeah, I, he that signing reminds me of the sort of the old days of it was a club call signing, if you know what I mean. Remember years ago, <laughs> yeah. you wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily know that you'd sign somebody, and you'd ring up club calls, and then at the end they would say, "And today the signing of blah 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 has been completed from." And it was always a team, Glenn, Glenn Torrens or somebody, and you think, "Oh." probably never hear of him again and I don't really remember it being a, again we're talking about an era where signings weren't like they are now it wasn't under the microscope it wasn't on television you'd, you'd read about it in the back page of the paper or probably the third page in from the back I mean it certainly wasn't a, a groundbreaking signing but 
sometimes they're the best, aren't they? There's I mean, you, you a real kind of high spot for Norwegians, wasn't it, in that era? Like that Norway team, who seemed to all play in England as well. They seemed to just happen for them. It was like their purple patch of... Um, yeah, Stig Bjornaby, Torben Pignan. Yeah, Hennenberg, obviously yeah. won the league at both Blackburn and United. So, Hold um, on, but our, our friend... Um, our friend um, Sid... Sid Lambert, yeah. There, Tweeted one who who was the worst player ever for Liverpool Football Club. It's it's Cosmar. Yeah, yeah. He said what really made me laugh is he said he had feet like feather dusted. Yeah, Sid's the new king of the internet. He he like he likes a quip. His tweets have been very popular. Very funny. He's very funny. People like him. Yeah, they do. Well done, Mr. Sid Lambert. Proper football. Check him out on Twitter. Um, to finish off because we're going quite late now. It's almost um we're going on an hour and a half and it's quite late. We've finished our drinks. We're getting on a bit because we're talking nineties. We need to go to bed. Um, the question I'm going to throw out. Hold on, hold on. You need to go to bed. I'm fine. I can talk. Yeah, I've, still, I've still got two cans of pear cider. All right. Check yeah, out you. Have any out. I've got a cat that needs to go out yet. I, I, I might watch the Big Bang Theory before I go to bed. That's how crazy oh, I am. Don't do that. Hold on. Ash, 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 Ash. Ash. I did Hold that. On. You hate that, don't you? <laughs> the worst program. I can tell you something, right? I can't tell you. Actually, no, I'm not allowed to say that about the Big Bang Theory. Um, do, do you hate that more than the, the... fact that people that I do some work for at the minute decided to pull their sponsorship of the Big Bang Theory because it's so terrible. Um, yeah, anyway, come on, let's crack on. Let's talk about Gary's... Oh, actually, let's talk about Gary Speed. Well, I'll just, what I was going to say, I was going to, by wrapping up, is other than Shearer, because he's the obvious one, who of that list would you say turned out to be the most successful sign-in, do you think? Okay, Matthew first. What? Who do you think out of that list do you think would have been quite pleased with that summer shopping? Yeah, it was difficult to overlook speed. I mean, mm. he, he was a great player. He was a great player before this era. I mean, I remember him in that Leeds team that picked yeah. United to the league in ninety one, ninety two, and he was probably only nineteen, twenty then. And he was he was a great. He really was a great player, and he, he went on to be a great player. And obviously, remember him fondly. One player I would look at there, and again in terms of <laughs> return on investment or whatever cliche you want to come out with, but Gary McAllister, yeah. because yeah. you know every club he's gone to. He, he, I know he still looks upon very fondly at Liverpool and, and obviously at Leeds. I and mean, again, he was in the part of that great Leeds midfield in ninety one, ninety two. And I think he, over the years, for, for what was spent on him, I think you got a good, a good shift out of Gary McAllister. And, I agree. Um, Liverpool to, certainly did in two thousand, didn't they? When he was thirty, what was it? 30 yeah, years at that point. Exactly. That's to think that this is yeah. this guy has gone from Leeds to Coventry and then to and it was. It, we're getting two thousands now, but we, you know he was the fulcrum of that side, wasn't he? Well, that he side that won the tre- a treble, not the treble, <laughs> a treble. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, not the treble. Yeah. But yeah, and he, and yeah, you say hey, that was there, if, if Middlesbrough win three games in a row, I'm happy. Yeah, <laughs> it's different when it comes to Liverpool. We score three but, goals, Joel, and I'm happy. <laughs> But no, I think so that this is six years after the. Uh, hang on, what were So yeah, five years after this summer, he still looked upon as one of the top mm. players in the country and taking a team to win three, three cups in one season. So yeah, I, I think. I mean, it'd be interesting to see what his combined total transfer total is over the years. But not, not very. I mean, much if this was him. if this was three million, you've got to imagine that this was probably his highest. Transfer, oh, I imagine. So, yeah, because where was he for Leeds? Leicester, wasn't he? I think, and that wouldn't have been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was at Coventry for a while, wasn't he? With Strachan, was yeah. he? Or am I imagining that? But, but yeah, he can't have gone for more than in his career. 
don't know, seven, six, seven million pounds. He's, he's somebody but, my dad always used to sign in the original fantasy football, whatever Dream Team was called, because he was he was yeah. always a seven out of ten player. He used to get points. Yeah. For that. I don't know if he still do. I don't really play those sort of games anymore. But he was yeah. him and Stan Collymore were my dad's kind of two players. He was always by instantly. But it, it begs the question though. Going back to what we were saying earlier on, what <laughs> this sounds like a real old man thing to say, but what would he be worth now? A player like that. He's, a real, yeah. he's one of those what they do call him a Rolls Royce of a player wasn't he yeah. somebody who sits in that like Ray Wilkins was for QPR in the early 90s sits in that midfield sprays the balls around and you've got to remember though Ash that Ray Wilkins signed Ned Zellick he did he's not a nice fellow <laughs> <laughs> and Simon Osborne our guest on today's show um, anyone else you want to mention there Joel I mean Frank LaBeouf did alright didn't he won the World Cup apparently. won the World Cup didn't he yeah, um, apparently yeah and, and Andy Booth what I always remember about that is you know, when France won the World Cup, is that, uh, you know, Piers Morgan decided to put Arsenal win the World Cup on the front of the Daily Mirror that time. I don't like Piers well, Morgan mentions on this podcast, well, to be honest. Well, in fairness, West Ham, West Ham have been saying it for the last yeah. 50 odd years, haven't they? <laughs> well, Paul Parker played in Italian IT, so I'll have that for keep you yeah. Um Di Matteo as well as one I forgot to mention. Obviously, he had a. I'm not. I didn't want to do this because of Joel, but obviously, he had a good season. Forty-two. Forty-two. Yeah, Forty-two seconds. Um, and I, let's just finish on Andy Booth because I mocked. Uh, I'm trying to finish on Andy Can Booth. We just go get on. This Hold on. Let's just get this right. Oh, you're going to finish. Two seconds, isn't it, with Roberto Di Matteo? It's forty-two seconds. Is it forty-seven? Was it forty-two? You should know this. Forty-two. Is it forty-two seconds? I was there. It was right in front of me. It was the most dreadful time. Okay. Um, yeah, where she seems to think it's 43. It's 42 seconds, isn't it? Yeah, well, you should know. As a Borough fan, I will take your word for it. Um, I'm going to well, finish thanks, your... thanks, Ash. <laughs> well, Ash, Ash, would you like to be Norris McWhorter at this point and just please say it's 42 seconds? It's, I always thought it was 42 seconds, yeah. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, of course. I'm going to finish on Andy Booth now, which is a sentence I thought I never thought I'd say. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Well, lucky, Andy lucky Andy Booth, who I mocked as one of these top 10 transfers. 2.7 million from Huddersfield to Sheffield Wednesday, but he did score 13 goals that season as Sheffield Wednesday finished 7th. So I think they'd be quite happy with that. Didn't do well after that, obviously. It all went um, well, wrong for Andy Booth. And didn't he play for Tottenham? That was a random loan signing at somewhere in the next decade. But yeah, um, just looking at those totals altogether, in that summer, so Spain spent 128 million, Italy spent 85, and England spent 75. So none of them, that's transfers, were even worth a Philip Coutinho. Or, or, or uh, you know, if you look at the at the English transfer, that that's one Virgil van Dijk. That is one Virgil van Dijk. 1996 was one Virgil van Dijk. So you Dijk. can have, so Solon, for one Virgil van Dijk, you can have Shearer, Ravnelli, Di Matera, Poborski, Emerson, Speed, Boyer, Gary McAllister, Booth and Frank Lebert. It's not bad. And, you know, even even for 10 players, that's all right. Yeah, and without a goalkeeper, I still feel I fancy my chances. <laughs> Lee Bowyer as well, obviously did very well at Leeds, but that was more in the, the later decade rather than the yeah, 90s. Well. Um, I think we covered everything there. Some great, some yeah, some nice memories from players we haven't really talked about before. Um, it's getting late, as I said. I might just go straight to bed because my daughter's running around and she's uh, rolling. No, she's not running, she's rolling around and hopefully she's going to stay asleep as well. Um, before we go, let's throw it out. Already, you've already given your Twitter handle, Joel, but do it again and people can follow you talking about cats and all that nonsense. Why would they want to talk to me after this nonsense? <laughs> of course um, they would. Uh, I'm at Joel Baby Hurts, and if they want to um, get involved with The Voice, lovely, that's at The Voice UK. Cheap plug. Go and do it. Get into it. You know, it's eight, eight, I tell you what, it's a lovely show. 
I'm not sure I've got my winner, but I kind of think I have. Ooh, well, keep that to yourself. You don't want to get in trouble. Uh, Matthew, where can Amen, people no, follow you? We're all good. Um, yeah, usual usual places at Matthew J Christ on Twitter, MatthewChrist.co.uk. Um, doing a series of articles this week, obviously marking 60th anniversary of Munich. A few stories about people that survived, people that didn't, uh, the impact on the club, that kind of thing. And I'm also doing a piece on. Believe it or not, the anniversary of Trevor Francis signing for Nottingham Forest. Which, is that in your brain, the, by any chance? The, the anniversary of which is coming up in about eight minutes' time. Oh, there we go. I would tweet that tomorrow, but it's a bit 80s for us, so yeah. we'll keep that well, up yeah. to 80s account. Um, thank you very seven, much. 79. 79, 79 yeah. yeah, 79 to 80. Yeah, keep it 79. That's just another podcast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> thank you very much, gents. Enjoyed that late-night session of Alive and Kicking. Oh, there's some very double entendres going on tonight and that is one of them I finished on Andy Booth I'm going to finish the, the show now by saying I'm Ash Rose you can follow me at Ash Rose UK or the show at AK90s we'll be back soon with more 90s goodness but until then as Alexi Lalas told you earlier on keep it 90s <laughs> <laughs>